Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. And welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It's Wednesday night, it's just gone 8 o'clock, and I am not John Hindoff. In fact, it's Johnny Palmer here, uh, sitting in as guest presenter, if you like, for Series 11, Episode 37 of Midweek Motorsport. You're most welcome. We will do uh, all the usual shenanigans a little bit later on, but a, a slight tweak to the programme, first of all. We welcome two guests from the Team USA Scholarship to the studio live here in Thrapston uh, and it's my pleasure to introduce to my right Oliver Askew and Kyle Kirkwood who are the winners of the 2016 USA scholarship so welcome chaps I understand you've only just flown in yeah, yeah. we got we got in yesterday so it was a bit tough changing to this or changing to the time zone since we're going to be on track uh, the next day after tomorrow yeah yeah thanks for having us I mean I think uh Jet lag is just part of this lifestyle that we live right now, and we're just going to have to get over it, but uh, yeah, we'll do our best. I mean, I've done a few air miles this year, and I suppose we're not in a position to complain necessarily, but you do need to let your body adjust for a few days at least. Yeah. And as you say, you won't be in track action for, what, another week or so? Yeah, we're, we're going to start testing in two days, um, just to get some practice, and then and then the testing starts for the Formula Ford Festival on Wednesday. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll be ready. I think we're running on adrenaline, on, on adrenaline really. How long has this process been from from the start? And presumably you were in a pool of how many people? Eleven. Eleven people. Yeah, to start off, and then it, and then it was uh, that was the interview uh, at Mid Ohio during the IndyCar race, and then from there it got cut off to six, and then we went and did a, a shootout at the Lucas Oil School of Racing at Palm Beach International Raceway, and then yeah, the two of us are here now. Yeah, well, one thing that was uh, pretty important about it is that we didn't get notice or we didn't uh, get any information about it until week prior to the mid of mid Ohio. So we had to set up our flights like three days before we had to head to mid Ohio. Just in case. Exactly. Well, uh, well, I'm not sure. In case it's just Jeremy Shaw does it that way, where he just wants you to be on your toes, you can yeah. say. And so we got let known uh, just about a week before we had to be in mid Ohio. We should probably give some people the kind of history of Team USA and the program because it's a, a long-running program. 1990 it started. Yeah, it's massive. And just to give you some indication, these are the guys you've got to live up to. Jimmy Vassar, first scholarship winner ever, followed by Brian Herter. I mean, he's got his young son Colton coming through now, hasn't yeah. he? So yep. that was in 1991. We've got people like Buddy Rice, Charlie Kimball, Joseph Newgarden, Connor Daly. These are within motorsport sort of household names yeah. and you guys could be the next in that generation yeah yeah i did some math the other day actually 66 percent of all the drivers who come through this program make it to be a professional racing driver you yeah. know 
Yeah, Joseph Newgarden, like you said, just got signed by, by Penske. Yes. You know? It's, Brian Sellers, Dane Cameron. Yeah, it's huge. Andy Lally. I mean, are these the... I mean, what sort of route through motorsport are you looking for? Are you purely single-seaters right now? Currently, yeah, because we started in karting at a very young age, around five, so we've only known single-seater stuff, and I've done a little bit of Formula 4 and 1600, but no sports cars, so... Okay. Yeah, I think it's important to grow up around and, and learn, uh, you know, racecraft and dynamics of a race car in single-seaters, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, doors are going to open for us, and who knows where we'll, where we'll be in, in three years from now. So it's always been the plan, I think this is how Jeremy's run it, that the winners come to the UK... And you're really thrown in the deep end with two of the closest four competitions heading into our winter period, but in Formula Ford cars. So you start, obviously there's some testing to get out of the way first of all, but the first competition is the Formula Ford Festival at Brands Hatch. That's an event with an immense amount of history again. I mean, it goes back to, I think, 1972. Um, And Formula Ford a little bit in a state of flux, I suppose you could say, in the UK at the moment with the introduction of Formula 4. But... This, we're talking old school Formula Fords without the wings and without the slick tires. Yeah. Correct, yep. Yeah, what I've, what I've been hearing for the past couple months or so is that this year is going to be the stoutest that it's been in since the past 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it's uh, hopefully we'll do well, but we don't have much time to get prepared for it. Uh, actually, Oliver is going to be probably a little bit less prepared because I've actually had some time in the 1600 car with the H pattern, but he's only done sequential. I think with the right uh, people around me, I think it will be no problem. The first session uh, or first day, I'll get used to it. And we, we've actually prepared a lot um, for this. We've done a bunch of simulator testing. Uh, okay. I was at Racecraft 1 in, in Indianapolis just this past weekend. Spent uh, two days in a row just practicing the tracks, the, the H-Powder in there. So yeah, we're really looking forward to it. What a simulator doesn't teach you is quite how Paddock Hill Ben feels, though, plunging down yeah. that hill on the first lap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. I, I would agree. It's very steep. Yeah. We haven't seen it yet, but yeah. I'm sure it's going to be. Yeah. Similar characteristics to Road Atlanta from what I've been hearing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've yet to see the dipper at Laguna Seca, but I would imagine it's, Laguna Seca is probably a little bit steeper. But if you've been to Spa and the and Eau Rouge, again, that's a steep climb uphill, whereas Brand starts with that desperate plunge and followed by a hairpin. But the Indy Circuit, you know, has its name rooted in the US because yeah. of those Indy car events that used to happen around that short tight track it, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of t- circuit i suppose to find time versus your rivals around there yeah right yeah i think everyone everything looks oh, the corners look different on tv than they do in person so yeah. it's always like we'll that see what For, happens. yeah the first time i showed up at road atlanta you drive the simulator you see it it's like oh maybe 10 or 20 feet of elevation change you get you come down the hill where you're uh, the last corner and you're going down the hill and you're coming back up it if you're driving to the track and it's just almost straight up so it's, re- it's really different when you show up to the track. A wall of asphalt. So your first point of... Uh, uh, your first venue to head to will be Silverstone. Is that right? In about a week's time to do some testing or, or slightly longer than that? Yeah, in two days we'll be at Silverstone. Oh, two days. Yeah, wow, Silverstone. okay. So Silverstone first stop, that's for testing. And you'll be on the national circuit, which is where the Walter Hayes Trophy takes place. Correct. Been to Silverstone before? I guess not. Yeah, I've I've been around there. I've never been around the track. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I mean, I've only done uh, testing on a simulator, so I've actually never been to the UK, so this is my first time. Is it quite, do you think you'll get some kind of goose pimples, though, when you first arrive and think, this is Silverstone, this is the home of British motorsport? Yeah, I think so, for for sure. sure. Yeah. I mean, 
I think about your tracks in the US, places like Daytona, uh, Laguna Seca that I've mentioned, mm. you know, uh, I suppose having the, the classic British tracks that were, that made the name in, of Grand Prix in the 1960s and 70s in, the, in my backyard, the novelty kind of wears off a little bit, I suppose. But for you guys, first time in the UK, for you, Kirk, it will be special. Yeah, well, for sure. Uh, I agree. Yeah, there's a lot of history at these tracks, and we understand that. But, you know, we're here to do a job, and that's what we're going to be focusing on. Very good. Very professional. Um, tell me about the process when you went through the interviews. You get down to your final six. Now, you guys are both from Florida. Yeah. You're both from Jupiter. Yeah, correct. Yeah. We live 10 minutes away from Which is other. a place I'd never heard of and had to check that you weren't from out of space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people well, say that. Well, we, we normally say Palm Beach because we live close to Palm Beach. You live close to Palm Beach? Yeah. And the finals between the final six would take place where? Yeah, yeah at Palm, Palm Beach International Raceway, yeah. So very, very local for you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's actually another kid, Conrad Chachik, who he's he lives in Poland for most of the time, but he lives in... Uh, in Jupiter also for about four months and he was one of the finalists also okay yeah. and what is that a day or two days that was a day yeah. uh, tell me take me through from start to finish what what you had to do yeah so the schedule was uh, we had one practice session 20 minutes a qualifying session which was also 20 minutes and a race okay. um, it was it wasn't a race where we're gonna be racing each other it was like a race stint so it was it was to show how consistent you are but uh, you know the beginning of the day we had you know a briefing just to go over everything uh um some uh some of the coaches spoke uh, like jill deferrin uh, spoke to us drivers and you know through this program jeremy has some people who, who teach us a lot and uh, we get to meet so many people uh, yeah i did that and then went through the day and we also had uh, a training uh with jim leo with jim leo with, from, with from pit fit um he, he did like a mock training exercise uh for us mm-hmm. uh, yeah and yeah, during that time, there's actually a big thunderstorm rolling through, yeah. which you guys don't really have here. But uh, yeah, so that was a bit scary at some points when there's lightning striking three miles away. We actually yeah. had to go right on track right afterwards, and luckily uh, the storm didn't hit. We only had about three minutes after we got off the track, and here comes that storm right there. Yeah. And did you have any indication through the day how well you guys were doing? Some of the coaches were hinting to us a little bit, like, oh, yeah, you're doing very well, keep it up, blah, 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 stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But none really until we actually got the news from Jeremy. Right. Well, we had timesheets also after yeah. every session, so we, we kind of knew what we had to do. You know. But it's, as you say, concentrated on kind of average lap times mm-hmm. rather than where you are in the race. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Exactly. So that's a very sports car mindset isn't mm-hmm. it to be able to perform well during a you get in a car for an hour let's say yeah an hour long stint right well well there's there's kids who can go who can throw down a fast lap but and, but if not, you actually watch them on track they're out of control right pretty much. not all of them can do the same same time every mm-hmm. lap and you know consistency is what wins races so where do you see yourselves in five years time let's say like i said before i think after this there's going to be a lot of doors opening for the both of us, um, definitely depending on how we do in the next few weeks. I'd like to be in IndyCar. I'd like to go through the, the Mazda Road to Indy presented by Cooper Tires through mm-hmm. that route there. Um, yeah, but we'll, we'll, again, we'll see. We'll see yeah, what I, I've got very similar goals to him. Yeah. We're pretty much on the same route. Yeah, yeah. Was this scholarship really the number one thing to try and win? Do you think it, you know th- this is the one thing that will open those doors, as you put it? Well, if you again, if you go look back at all the drivers who have come through this program, this is huge. Yeah. You know, this is where I wanted to be. Yep. But there are other ways simple. into it, but you feel that. Yeah. 
with it's my, almost the name of it. Right. Gets it makes it quite easier. A bit of the work it makes it easier. You. Well, actually, it makes it harder and easier because yeah. Jeremy's going to force us to work really hard, but we learn much faster. <laughs> well, it's so it's going to make us yeah, make it just, easier in the long run. It's just part of it. There's there's lots of other ways with personal funding. Yes. Right. And and very few with limited funding. So this is one of them. So job one is testing in two days' time at Silverstone. Then you've really got to, I suppose, hit the ground running at Brands Hatch. Uh, remind us, do you know the dates of that? Just in case we have the, anyone listening that wants to go and watch. The Brands Hatch race is from the 19th through the 21st or the 22nd. So it's from Wednesday through Sunday. Then we're in Silverstone from the 1st through the 6th. Okay. Yep. And that's the Walter Hayes Trophy again, an event with an awful lot of history. And, and I oh, think... Yeah. Possibly even more cars at Walter Hayes Trophy. That's what's That's been what happening. Hearing. Yeah, yeah. In the past few years, the Walter Hayes has been bigger. So yeah. Anyway, we want to win them both. <laughs> of course you do. Well, yeah. you, both, you, you can't both win. So well, maybe Oliver, you'll let Kurt win one of them, and Kurt, you'll let Oliver win. I don't one. know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But that's, I think Brands is two days and the Silverstone Walter Hayes is just the, the Saturday, I believe. And you start bright and early and work your way through a whole lot of heat into semi-finals. And oh, yeah. There's a, yeah, a final to finish. And the final, you have to have worked pretty hard just to get to that mm-hmm. point in the day, let alone win the race. Yeah, yeah. And one thing that's key about the race is saving your tires because you get two sets of tires and you want to save the second set of tires for the final. Yeah. So it's gonna, a lot of it comes down to who can stay out front and save their tires the best. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and and that and that format is is also seen in the international karting ranks. We have a lot of experience with exactly. with going through heat races and having to survive to even make it to the final. Yeah, both of us have been karting since we were five years old. I mean, he started 30 days after I did, mm-hmm. and we've done multiple world final events where you get one or two sets of tires and mm. to be very conservative on them. So I think uh, a lot of the char- characteristics from karting shows in the Formula Ford stuff. Yeah, like especially the style of racing is Yeah, because racecraft. Yeah. Obviously without slip uh, slicks and wings then slipstreaming is totally possible in a Formula Ford. They oh, don't yeah. travel through the air quite as well as a Formula three, let's say, or a Formula Four car in the modern in the modern era. And it is all about making use of the toe of the guy in front of you and then as you pile into say Brooklyn's corner, it's great fun to watch a single file line of Formula Ford splay out into about four or five abreast, yeah. Yeah. and it is a qu- question of really getting muscling in and shouldering people out of the way, isn't it, for mm-hmm. track position? Yeah, that was probably the most annoying thing that I had to deal with <laughs> going from karting to to the 1600 stuff is the draft because, or at least in a wing car, also if you get into the draft, you're not you're not gaining that much because you lose it all through the corners, and it's a similar thing in karting now. But now that I look back at it, it makes the the racing a lot more fun. Mm. Mm. Agreed. I mean, Silverstone is effectively three straights and four corners. Oh, yeah. Um, and it is all about momentum a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, if you screw your exit out of one of the corners, then that's your lap done. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Is that something a simulator will tell you? Yeah, uh, you can't really tell that much because once you get racing, it's going to be so whitelining it everywhere. So. It's purely to get your lap speed up. Yeah. But then really just to see the track, I think. Right. I mean, you can't really learn a whole lot from the simulators with the driving style or whatnot. You can understand the line somewhat, but it's really just to see the track and understand where this curb is or where that corner is and where that sand trap is if you're going to be out there. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing. As soon as you throw another 20-odd cars into the race with you, then racing line just goes out the window. Oh, it does, especially with the the immense amount of draft that these cars put out. It's just going to be blocking everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm really looking forward to it. I, 
I don't think I can get to the Walter Hayes, but I'm going to try and get be there for the uh, the Formula Ford Festival because I've still never done that event. Gentlemen, the best of luck. We Thank you. hope Thank you, you get some, a bit of sleep at yeah. least between now and uh, and Silverstone in a couple of days' time. And stay in touch, yeah, won't thank, you? Thanks for having yeah, well us. Deal. I'm sure that the press releases and the, the updates via social media will come to us, but it would be great to maybe get you on the show again at the end of the period. Yeah, we'd we'll love to do that. We'll, we'll find out. We'll, we'll find actually out have two off. days free, so maybe we'll head back up right after the uh, the Silverstone race because yeah. we have the Monday, Tuesday off, then we fly out, I think, Tuesday night. Fantastic. Yeah, back let to us the know. US. And a uh, quick shout-out to Cliff Dempsey Racing. Uh, of course. That's, that's who we're going to be racing with for the next few weeks. A fantastic group of people. Cliff will be running two rays, is that right? Two yeah, yeah, well, there's actually going to be four cars yeah. under his under his tent. So Yeah, we've got Parker Thompson from Team Canada coming over. Okay. Uh, finished, then, se- finished second in the USF 2000 series this year. Then a normal driver of his, uh, Chase Owen, will also be running. Brilliant. Yep. But as you say, that's a great team to go to. I mean, talk about knowing Formula oh, yeah. Ford racing oh, yeah, from course. front to back. Yeah. Oh, they're, all, they're up front every single year. So. Yeah. If, yeah. Jeremy Shaw does it right. He has the right people involved. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, great pleasure to be able to interview you. Oliver Askew and Carl Kirk, we wish thank you the you very much. very thank best you, for the you. next few weeks. And so that's a great way to start off uh, Midweek Motorsport, uh, Series 11, Episode 37. It's Johnny Palmer uh, taking the the reins for Midweek Motorsport for one week only. Well, I kind of did it two weeks ago as well. And um, strangely enough, that, uh, that event has been assigned to the annals of history because you search the archive and uh, it's not there is it Nick Damon it's just not there but I remember doing it it must be there it can't be a figure of imagination surely I that dream was very intense (laughs) in so many ways hearing you for one word and then just an echo and then nothing Uh -mm. well I'm pleased that I can hear every word of yours and hopefully you can hear every word of mine right now well we're only literally what Six feet apart. We could take these <laughs> headphones off and probably have a conversation like that, but that wouldn't be great for the listener, would it? It might be, actually. <laughs> might be an improvement. Yeah. Dear um, better than Johnny and Nick. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, Johnny. Good How evening, are... Tim. Good evening, everybody. Yes, good evening, good evening Tim, as well. Good evening, Johnny. Hello. We are, well, I don't know about you, Tim, but uh, t- uh, Nick and I are suitably fed and watered, oh, are fabulous. we not? Yeah, it's marvellous mushroom. Tonight. We had a lovely mushroom risotto, did we not? Well, prior to that, we had a mixture of, we had salad leaves with some... Uh, uh, cheese. <laughs> oh, I've, I've lost cheese. that. But no, it was um, mozzarella. Mozzarella. Thank you very and much. Tomatoes. And tomatoes. Yes. And lettuce. And le- yes. Well, some description. Anyway, yeah. people don't want to hear like, that. And the carrot cake. Homemade carrot cake was homemade marvelous. carrot cake. Yes, with a lovely actually, cup of tea. You'll be surprised. A lot of people do want to hear this. <laughs> okay. Well, that's what we had, folks. You're suitably filled in. Eve's uh, uh, menu. So. Okay. It was fabulous. Again, well, I'm pleased I talked about it. Um. There was a Grand Prix at the weekend. Now, I'm, I'm under strict instructions not to talk but too I'll, much I'll, 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 about I'll, Formula I'll, One. I'm Go just on. feeling, I'm feeling a lack of jingles. I'm sure you're going to get cut across by Tim there. That hang on, I was waiting for that. Oh <laughs> right, yeah, okay. So now, that, oh, does the show start properly from this point? Who knows? Tim's we've, the producer. We've, we've had some jingles already, of course. But uh, yes, we, we have. Need a news jingle, don't we? Yes, we need a news jingle. But don't I also need to say to you, Tim? On a packed programme tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. We have our regular guests. We have an irregular guest as well. Um, and uh, we've already had uh, our two special guests, who I'm guessing are now on their way to sleep somewhere. <laughs> yes, they're downstairs, probably enjoying some carrot cake. It's very nice. I'm not sure that would be good for them. De- Jeremy definitely wouldn't, have, wouldn't improve, approve of that on their diet. That yeah. is true. Um, 
but we will be joined by Marshall Pruitt later on. Uh, Brilliant. And Graham Goodwin as well. Uh, Where on earth are we going to fit all this in? Well, we've still got an hour and 40 minutes to go. Should I play True. a jingle? Yes. yes. Well, that worked well, didn't it? It's Sorry. brilliant, yes. It was, it was all the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And our top story is Formula One. Uh, oh. Just allow Nick to come back again. Because Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally r- had to rip the headphones off because of the volume of that jingle. You complained you couldn't hear anything earlier. Uh, I can hear too much. <laughs> yes, it was fun. Can, can we lose the bed, Tim? Marvellous, we'll, we'll lose you. the bed. Um, <laughs> I have a question for you, Nick. Uh, well, first yes. of all, uh, it's Formula One, and yes. uh, that means Hooray. we have our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Good evening again, Tim. Good evening, everybody again. Good evening, Johnny. And we Johnny. also have uh, historic Formula One expert, Joe Bradley. Yes, uh, no, he, <laughs> he's just waving the young Americans away. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> and we're having, we're having about 30 seconds of time. So what do you want to ask me, Tim? Well, uh, we have a little quiz, which uh, I'm, going ah. to, I'm going to ask you and Nick. Uh, sorry, you and Joe. Me, me and, on. yes. Uh, Johnny can take part in this as well, though I suspect that... Uh, as it'll be fingers on buzzers, Joe's going to get their way. How, we haven't got any buzzers. Anyone else. Where, uh, where are these buzzers? Just shout your name when you know <laughs> Oh, right, I see, okay. Um, I'm just filling, really, until... Yeah, we're both filling, alive. actually, moment, yes. He's not, he's, they're, they're still doing the waving and that sort of thing. Yeah, but uh, race on radio does waving. It, it does. It's so, a... It's a uh, <laughs> Yes, this is a Formula <laughs> One-related quiz, and I, I suspect that Joe will win. Uh, but you might know the answer as well, Nick. Uh, I, I might, but we've, we've, we've got... Here he comes. Here he comes now. He's, he's It's a Formula One-related quiz, Joe. I'm sorry. I've been talking in, Formula Ford with Cliff Dempsey downstairs while his ah. two drivers have been on the shore, you see. We should have got... And I didn't we, realise Cliff was there. We should have got him on as well. Do you oh, think, do you Tim, think you're Tim, out of breath for one flight of stairs? Yes. Two flights. <laughs> Tim, I tell you what. There is a show all of its own with Cliff Dempsey. I yeah, I can imagine. Well, yeah, we what, definitely what do. do. Next weekend, Joe. Um, this weekend or next weekend? Next weekend. Oh, you mean at the festival? Yeah. Um, I've just been talking about that. I think I'm definitely going to uh, get to the wall of his. Do a special show. We should do. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk to you after the show, if it, Tim. If, it, if it's next that. weekend, I might have a problem with that. But yeah, otherwise, brilliant. Yeah. So the question is, what do yes. the following Formula One races have in common? You have to shout your name if you know. The shout your name. The quiz. Uh, wait till I finish answering the que- asking the question first. Okay. So, the 1961 Dutch Grand Prix, the 2005 USA Grand Prix, the 2005 Italian Grand Prix, the 2011 European Grand Prix at Valencia, the 2015 Japanese Grand Prix, the 2016 Chinese Grand Prix, and the 2016 Japanese Grand Prix. There's no name shouting so far. Um, them. Is it? They all run without any yellow no flags. No retirements. No retirements. All cars finished. Nick <laughs> is correct. Oh! Now, the Dutch Grand Prix, was that in Holland or the Netherlands? Zandvoort. <laughs> in Holland, is that? Was in that? both. So, yes, they had a, a, t- a full complement of 22 cars arrived home uh, this weekend. Wow. This weekend, yeah. And that so also happened in this it year it's in China, did you say? seven times in history, of which four have been in the last five years. I'm particularly impressed in managing everybody home in the 1961 race. That's yeah, really yeah that's, that was really what put me off about retirements. 
Well, that 2005 Indianapolis race only had six starters, so it was inevitable that they'd all finish. Well, hang on, though. Didn't the other 18 cars do one lap? Or did they peel in after the formation lap? Into the formation lap, wasn't it? Yeah, they did, yeah, with their dodgy tyres. It was to avoid them being classified at all, wasn't it, yeah? Yes. Because uh, you wouldn't want to finish. That was when you only had... Do you have points down to six? Then, I think it was down to eight days. Yeah, so yeah. There were two two uh, drivers clearly who um, could have scored points and didn't. Yes. Uh, so obviously didn't run. Yes. So no attrition. Does that make Formula One dull, Nick? No, it makes it even more exciting because there's more there's more people for Sebastian Vettel to moan about, but not uh, not obeying blue flags. So you can have a moanathon as drivers not being let by on a tricky, quite narrow circuit. I think it's great. I think it's, it's amazing you get the, the most complicated racing vehicles ever seen, get them all to the finish. Yeah, it is. But isn't that, doesn't that take the element of surprise away from the result when they're just drawn round and round and round and there's, there, there's no attrition? What it does do... Because, you, sorry Nick, sorry, but we, we, we mourn about the domination that we see in Formula 1, but we've always had domination. Mm. We had domination in 1978 when Andretti and Peterson won everything in the Lotus, but they didn't win everything because of attrition. Same in the 80s with the McLarens. Mm-hmm. Um, 88, McLaren won every race bar one, which was won by... Uh, Gerhard Berger. Yes. Um, um, but the, the element of attrition gave that a bit of, it, it, I suppose, interest, whereas today... Yeah, but, the, but the, on a flip side, it actually puts into focus when a car doesn't work. So Lewis Hamilton's engine failure in Malaysia is far more serious because he knows it's very unlikely that Nico Rosberg will suffer a similar failure. So it's clearly so it, been sabotage for that reason. No, it, doesn't, it just means that when you have a, a, a piece of unreliability, in many ways it plays even more seriously than in the past, but there's very little chance of making it back up again. Statistically. Hmm. You think about it, if you're going to fail five times, that person can fail four times, it's not statistically as important as failing one to zero. Yeah. That's something for your mind to think about. Should we be aiming for cars that can get to the end of a race, though? Or, yeah, or if, are they no, pushing if, the envelope if, far no, enough? If a car hasn't broken down, sorry, hasn't, hasn't had an accident, then absolutely. The whole point of it is you, could be, you, you should be able to do the, the two-hour race distance to the 300 kilometres without breaking down. That's point, point. Otherwise, why are you spending... Not pushing, pushing the technology hard enough if it's not well, breaking. Just, well, they're not pushing the cars hard enough because they, uh, they can't with the tyres. But also, don't forget, it's not even like 15 years ago when you could really go for it with your engine and gearbox and completely and, and have a you know an all-out attack and if the engine goes ping it's fine and the gearbox goes whiz it doesn't matter because you do, but this time if you do that now you carry a penalty through the rest of the races so the the actual consequence of a, of a chain of unreliability is greater than it used to be as well well it mirrors it mirrors car manufacturing in it, it, itself that today you, you know you see a 10 year old car and they look virtually new. I know, someone, a friend of mine bought a 15-year-old new-shaped Mini. I didn't know new-shaped Minis were 15 <laughs> years old. Yeah, a car with 100,000 miles on these days is kind of, it's a, a pretty good car. Let it be driven by my sister. And the, the yep. other thing about uh, current, I suppose, not just F1, you could say this about a lot of motorsport. You know, what I, I've always said, not always said, but I, I would say that, you know, why can't we go back to um, stick shift gearboxes, in Formula One, with a clutch, a brake, and a, and a throttle, where you had to have the dexterity and the balance of a ballet dancer to drive these cars. And, imagine and, the and, and would you insist cars? that all the sunglasses were rose tinted as well? I am. It, I yeah. am, it is that. It is yeah, that. It, isn't it? it, it? Wasn't, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Know. Whether or not this is a golden age, there was never a golden age. 
That, you're right, because it depends how old you are. Exactly. And I think your go- your golden age is when you first fell in love with the sport. Mm. For instance, my golden age will was, be a lot was older than seventies. Yes. Did it, you ever see? If you want to, if you want to explain that in celluloid firm, watch Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris, and it explains how everyone's golden age is by the perspective that they have, and there isn't yeah. actually one. Yeah. The sight of a Brabham BT44B in martini colours. That is the 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 Formula One car. Mm-hmm. It's got massive fat. Nah. I know because you, you you're an eighties man, aren't you? I'm a bit, 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 a couple of years younger than you. Yeah. All right. Yes, Johnny. You're uh, the youngest in this room. I, I I remember following Formula One in the late eighties and the early to mid nineties, probably. And then I, I remember Hackenden's year as well, and, and then the Schumacher domination kind of bored me. So when you look at Formula One cars over the years, do you look back at those, the halcyon days of the early 90s cars? The, the, you know, the the, 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 Alamp, the, the FW14B, mm. that Prost one in 93. Um, you know, did the, yeah. and I mean visually. I don't mean the technology on it because that was uh, arguably the, the most technologically advanced car, all active ride, etc. Um, because it's the visual aspect of the cars. You know, in the 70s, all the cars looked different. Yes. You know, a Shadow was different to a Brabham, was different to a Ferrari, was different to a McLaren. Completely yeah. different. And I suppose it's like it's you're sharpening a razor blade with the with the regulations, aren't you? You can only go so far to the nth degree. If everyone's optimising everything about the regulations, then invariably you're going to have cars that look exactly the same. It's, mm. it's logical. Yeah, you've got four people working out of a garage yeah, with, with a finger in the air and a bit of paper. They're yeah, going to come up with a right. different solution to when you've got 1,800 people in 17 factories earning $400 million because eventually the, the, you are going to narrow it down to the same, the same uh, results. But obviously, mm. we're going to have a diversion again next year with the new regulations and, and Red Bull will be fastest. Uh, and then you know, they'll, they'll gradually come back together over the period of the next three-year cycle. That's the way it is. And they're going to look a bit better with those fatter rear tyres, aren't they? Well, you hope so. Um, On the subject of fatter rear tyres, who's been oh. testing in Barcelona today? I have no idea. Pirelli. Well, well done. <laughs> it's a correct answer, Joe. Right, Yay. let me guess then. Is it um, Sebastian Vettel? It's a driver who's won a Grand Prix this year. Oh, Ricardo. Ricky Ricciardo. It's not. Uh, it, but Max Verstappen. It's not Max Verstappen. Is it Nico Rosberg? It's Nico Rosberg. God, he gets everywhere wow. these days, isn't he? He's on social. He was, he was at the factory yesterday saying, well done for winning the World Champ- the Constructors' Championship. He's having a lovely time being 33 points in front of the championship and not feeling any pressure. How uh, how did he get on in Barcelona today? I expect he, he went round many laps and he was very pleased, but he could make no great conclusions. Unfortunately, cool temperatures in the morning, with a track temperature of 17 degrees centigrade at the beginning of the test, and rain in the afternoon, hindered the work that was done today, said a Pirelli spokesman. Yes, so what they're basically saying is we want to go to Bahrain for our test, it's not even good enough for Barcelona in October. We were at least able to gain some data with regard to wet weather testing. We don't like it. <laughs> That's data we gain. It's not nice, it's damp. Uh, so if we ever have any uh, wet tyres... Uh, well, I assume they'll have some wet tyres. <laughs> we have wet races next season, then uh, at least those tyres have been tested. Yes. Well, they've done it earlier because they, they, they watered the track on previous occasions to test the wet tyres. Yeah, they should have taken advantage of the fact it was dry at Paul Ricard. Mm. Well, have there been many wet races this year in Formula 1? Yeah, at the start of the season, a couple, weren't there? Dried out, Monaco, do you remember? Rosberg was rubbing oh, Monaco yeah, in the wet. Yes. And it was wet some other time. But I was talking about a German 24-hour race that weekend, so I didn't see a great deal of Monaco, but yes, you're right, it was... Uh, 
it, that was a horrendous weekend. There were races called off. I think some of the support races were called called short. Um, okay. It was lovely and warm in uh, Indianapolis that weekend. Y- yes, as you can vouch for. World. Um, Forty. So uh, a points lead of thirty-three. Yes. I mean, do we talk about this now, Tim? The fact that yes, uh, it seems like are we are we going to talk about Mr. Hamilton at all? You could talk mm. about Mr. Hamilton. Because I had a conversation with uh, with Joe about Mr. Hamilton. Yeah. Um, and I said that uh, I didn't really have a problem with him mucking about in the um, the press conference because the press conference has been the same has been the same for the last twenty years and was boring exactly it was boring then and it's boring now. The only thing I was really disappointed was he was playing around with an application aimed at twelve year old girls, which was bunny ears on Snapchat and that was the thing a 30 year old multi-millionaire professional sportsman should not be putting bunny ears on racing drives for no other reason it's stupid and immature but if he doesn't want to uh, engage with what is a, I couldn't agree with more a completely defunct concept which is the formal press conference that's fine in my opinion and if he doesn't want to talk to the press because they've written bad things about him again that's fine because what he actually managed to do whatever anyone says is he got more column inches this weekend than he would ever have got if he turned up, answered the questions at both points. He, he completely dominated the, the media. He made the media, they, they played in, in his, in his, into his trap and Mercedes got more mention. Mercedes going, oh, we're not raping. Mercedes were chuffed a bit. All people were doing was talking about Mercedes. When you've got a, a championship which is basically dull because the dull German or the slightly more interesting Britain, a very dull car is going to win. Hey, it's fantastic. We've now managed to dominate the headlines, even though we are offering nothing apart from the same one, too, if it hadn't been for a clutch problem. It was brilliant. It was a, a masterstroke of publicity. It was a great point that you made downstairs, Nick, that you said, you know, he's kind of damned if he doesn't, he's damned if, he's, if he doesn't. We, we, we mourn about Formula One drivers being boring. And yet the first hint of a personality, it's like, oh, God, he's into... Oh, look at his tattoos. Oh, he's wearing an earring. Oh, he's... You know, and and you're right. He has no, got, a, you know, he's got a personality. He's not afraid to, you know, um, show his culture. He likes he likes rap music. Um, he he he's playing around on childish apps. But at least he's got a personality. I just do not like his attitude towards the team. Mm. Which I thought was a very, very spoiled bratish thing well, yeah, just, to say. But he's, he's always saying. I mean, I, you you said that he said something less than positive about this weekend. I don't, I didn't read that anywhere. I read the stuff obviously he said immediately after the incident in Malaysia, which he very quickly changed from the team being against me to somebody up there's against me. And at that point, he was constantly positive about the team and and, and being This is nice the to reference them. to the fact that it's always his engine that it blows. Is, on it is the an team. undeniable um, statistic that he has signi- had significantly more mechanical problems over the three years of this current formula, remember he had huge problems in the first season as well, than Nico Rosberg has, and also more than any of the other Mercedes users in all their customer teams. It's it, That's an undeniable fact. The also the other undeniable fact is that is it never attribute to malice what is easier to attribute to chance or stupidity. And the point about statistics is you have statistical anomalies. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Um, but I, th- I think actually Hamilton is uh, is plays a quite a clever game. He, he's always now very much up on to oh thank you to the team, the team are marvelous. I love the team, the team are great. But at the same time, it's very important. And if you if you look about you know how the great racing drivers and I, I, people I mean, by great I mean I suppose great managerially as much as anything. So Senna, Prost, Schumacher, they ran their teams, they managed their teams internally, they use the psychology, the politics. So that's why when Alain Prost's political power at McLaren was usurped by Senna. He left and went to Ferrari. Tried the same tax of Ferrari and being a bit more disorganised, it didn't quite work. You know, Schumacher ruled the, ruled the Ferrari of the 
2000s with a rod of iron. You know, it, 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 they were happy because he was successful. That's how he did it. They did it. The whole thing was built around him. And you know, you have to be careful. You know, I think I think that Rosberg is, is is pretty astute. So it's not a it's not a battle of inequals. So therefore, Hamilton is trying his own way to both motivate the team when he feels upset they're not providing what he needs, and also at the same time that delicate thing of staying on side with them, and. Also, I think handling a, a large amount of pressure from from the position he's in, he's under a high level of scrutiny. He knows he should be winning, the, he should be leading the world championship. And the majority of the reason he's not leading is reliability. But it's not the only reason. He's made his own mistakes this year. It wasn't for Mercedes that crashed into the barriers during qualifying in Azerbaijan. You know, it wasn't Mercedes who, who it wasn't Mercedes who botched the start this weekend. But on the flip side, it was Mercedes' engine blew up, and it was Mercedes who had two engine fa- engine unit failures that both prevented him from qualifying for two races, and meant he had to take a big penalty in, in Belgium. Um, uh, winning the Formula One World Title uh, is uh, bound to get you a lot of money as a racing team, isn't it? Well, it would get me a lot of money, yes, because I haven't invested. But well, you're saying I, I assume we win many millions. I mean, we win pounds. It's, po- it's put a points making its prices. The more points you get, the more cash you get. Mercedes but a downside. A loss of twenty-two point three million pounds uh, in the twenty fifteen Formula One season, which would be what about one percent of their spend? Who knows? Well, they, they spend. Did we work out last year? They spent nine hundred million dollars. So that would be uh, rather more than one percent. But but a lot less than ten, and not wishing to say there's there's again the this lies down lies in accounting, um you know I, I wouldn't read anything into that with an organisation that's backed by the might of dames of Benz you know if Force India turn around and lose twenty two million quid that's quite important but I'm sure Mercedes have some particularly plush sofas at Brackley that have twenty two million pounds down the back of them. Uh, the team says it was a significant improvement on the previous season when they <laughs> reported a loss of seventy-six point one million pounds. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's it shouldn't be laughable because you know I'm pretty certain that for seventy-six million pounds, McLaren ran their entire operations from about when they started in the mid-sixties to about nineteen eighty on the you know, fifteen years on that money. But um, yeah, the numbers involved with the very top teams are ridiculous. So. Uh, Turnover increased by 66.3 million, uh, but operating costs increased by 8.1 million, uh, mainly due to increased salaries. Mainly for Nico Rosberg, because he's the one who's got a raise this year. <laughs> so he got a raise because why? Oh no, actually no, it's next year. He signed a new contract. He signed a new contract. No, he signed a new contract. Okay, this is last year. This has been Lewis's raise. So Lewis got a race for this year lost, yeah, because he won the championship or no, just, just because he got new, he, new, contract. He new contract for right. a gazillion dollars. I see. Uh, replacing his previous one, which is just for lots of dollars. Yes. And they tend to be, what, two years contracts or um, three? They're both contracted to the back end of 18, I think. So, Which is interesting, really, because given, given the fact it seems very likely that, the, that the, the loving romance between Fettel and Ferrari is already disintegrated, there might be a Ferrari season at the end of this year. End of next Ooh. year, sorry. So end of 17. So you then think, oh, do, do people who are... Who would, who would want to go there? Who would want to go there? Well, with large amounts of money, I think a lot of people want to go there. But um, you know, all right then, who would Ferrari want to go there? Well, I'm sure they would. They want the far, what, they, what they found is they don't seem to have got from Vettel what they want, and I think that whilst they think he's quite good, they don't seem to think he's quick enough. And his form has been very poor since he won his fourth World Championship. Um, you know, he had a very bad season the following year at Red Bull, which is fair enough. He was he won some races last year in the in the Ferrari, but he was under no pressure whatsoever. It was kind of a free ride, 
And this year, he's been under pressure again. He's cracked on several occasions. He's probably been the most, the most erratic driver on the grid. Even worse than uh, Esteban Gutierrez. No, no. <laughs> You're very quiet, Joe. I'm just listening. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're at home, isn't it? Listening to <laughs> okay, me. Yeah, it is actually, you yes. are taking an active part in this, or at least I hope you are. I'm yes. Just, I'm just not used to being quiet. I'm, I'm just, I'm just listening. I was just. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with everything you said. What's your opinion on Vettel? I read Vettel. I think Vettel I mean, is you can't, quality. You cannot deny four no, you titles. Can't. No, you can't. Um, but he was in a very good car across I, those four years. I, I love his fiery spirit this year. He gets in. He's get, he's in there. He's is in he there fiery for a fight. Or just droppy. Nah, he's fiery, mate. He's fiery. He know he's overdriving because he's trying to get the absolute max out of his car. Um, I still think Alonso's the best. I think the problem for Vettel, the real problem that Vettel has at the moment, he's he's now being beaten by Raikkonen. Next year's going to be a chassis formula, isn't it? It's going to be an aero formula. Yeah, this year's an engine formula. Nothing's going to beat Mercedes. I expect... Unfortunately, I don't expect Ferrari to move further forward. I'm thinking Red Bull's going to be, again, the team to beat when it comes to aero. Mm-hmm. Um, but Vettel, you've got to read Vettel. He's, he's, I think my headset's going off, Johnny. Um, he's, he's... Yeah, I mean... I love that. I love his attitude. I like the privacy he has. We're talking about kids with mm. uh, guys with personality. I think he's got a great personality. He's got a great sense of humour. I know it's a bit of a... It's become a bit of a cliche to say he's got an English sense of humour, you know, with a, being a fan of Monty Python and Faulty Towers and the like. But um, as a driver, you, you can't knock him. He's absolutely on it. You know that, you know. He's like a lot of drivers who, um, you know, when they're in the car, you know that's as fast as that car can go. So you have to start a Formula 1 team tomorrow and you can have 82 drives in the grid. Who are you going to have? I'd have Alonso. And I would probably have to say I'd have Vettel. Although, I'd have to say maybe I'd have Ricardo instead because he's, he's, uh, he looks like good crack, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> You'd go out for a beer with Ricardo, would, wouldn't you? Absolutely, yeah. 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 And uh, Alonso would tag along, wouldn't he? I think, I think, hands down, the fastest driver in the grid is, is Lewis Hamilton by a long way. And you think about... he's quicker than Alonso? Yes. Mm. He did. I'm that not, wasn't always your opinion. I'm not though, saying over a season he would get more. He would get a, a better set of results. He's quicker. Now that qualifying, um, probably every weekend. Alonso's not a great qualifier, but starting Alonso from second on the front row of the grid with your fantastic new uh, Bradley special, uh, that'd be fine, wouldn't it? When you've locked, you, oh, the, the Bradley you, GP. You, you've locked yeah, out the front yeah, row. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I, th- I mean I I I'm not sure uh, about the. Uh, uh, the overall pecking order at the moment, but certainly I think Lewis is doing particularly well. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it is interesting. I think just go back to the final point on that thing. I think it is a situation where he's damned if he does, and he's damned if he doesn't. I think Nico's doing a great job. Mm. Rosberg is doing an outstanding job. Uh, where are we going next, Tim? Uh, who is involved in a uh, tug of love between two teams? Is it Nico Hulkenberg? No. Oh. Is it Esteban Ocon? No. Oh. You're getting okay. closer. Stoffel van Dorn? No, it, it's, it, uh, it's Pascal Verlein? It's not Pascal. Oh, blimey, well, how, am I going, how is that close to Esteban Ocon, then? <laughs> Think about the language they speak. French. Uh, okay. Uh, 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 an our Frenchman? Um, what's his name? Hasbloke. Forgotten his name now. It's not <laughs> French. Who, uh, um, oh, he's not French, all right. Grosjean. Well, the day 22 drives, we mentioned them all. Tell me, Tim, who is it? Carlos Sainz Jr. Oh, hang on, the, 
This is not French. He's not French. He's Spanish. So is Esteban Ocon. No, he's not. He's French. He is. Is he? Esteban Ocon is French, which is why Renault wanted to drive for them. Do you want to come in again? again, (laughs) Do you want to start that again? Start the story again. Renault also (laughs) want uh, Carlos Sainz to drive for them. No, but they've been told they can't. By Christian Horner, soon to be Daddy Horner again, um, has, uh, has, has said, no, they can't have him. And uh, he's staying in the Red Bull programme because they've spent all their money on financing his junior four milliards. Yes, but they've only offered him a one-year contract because, uh, of course, he's out of contract at the end of this season. Uh, Toro Rosso would have offered him a one-year contract for next season. Um, given Toro Rosso's history of discarding mm-hmm. drivers, um, wouldn't it be more sensible for him to go to Renault? I think so. I think if he can get a nice three-year deal with um, with, with, his, with his teammate Mr. N. Hulkenberg, who's also now being uh, rumoured to be there, I think that'd be a much better idea. I'm sure Danny Kvyat would agree, because that means he guarantees he'd actually get a drive next year. Is Lance Stroll definitely going to Williams? That's what everyone says. Yeah. yeah. And he's writing a cheque. His daddy's a billionaire. It's like, it's like, it's like basically, it's like you saying, I'd like to do F1. I found... <laughs> that I found that money which was down the back of the sofas at Brackley down the back of my sofas here off we go it's like that it's nothing it's, it's, it's like us paying for, for fun cart day yeah it probably is to, to be fair prob- he has uh, amassed uh, a sufficient super licence points over the last two years uh, to do you think qualify. that um, do you think that Williams are, are particularly attracted by his super licence points or by his billionaire father I think both I think obviously <laughs> one without the other is uh, less attractive but the other without the one is fine, as, as have many paid drivers proven. Uh, who thinks that they are too good for the for the car they're racing in at the moment? Everybody apart from Mercedes drivers. <laughs> <laughs> who said it publicly uh, earlier today? Today? Yeah. Oh, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't gone. I haven't, I haven't viewed today's uh, ridiculous statements. Ridiculous um, drivers. Yeah. Uh, how far down the grid do I need to guess? Uh, well, it depends on what part of the season you're looking at. At the start of the season, not very far, but now a little bit further. Hass? No. Oh. Uh, Williams? No. Oh, again, it'll be 22 guesses. I would have said the whole grid, apart from the Mercedes <laughs> drivers. That's what I said, yeah. Uh, Danny Kriat. Oh, come on! <laughs> yeah, I can imagine him saying that. Yeah, but, but yeah, that's ridiculous, because he's, he's only just got his mojo back after losing, after being ceremoniously dumped. Uh, that's, I think a, that's a very that's a very disingenuous statement by a man who's lucky to still be in F1. I think I'm outperforming the car at the moment, to be honest. So if that's not enough, then I don't know what is. I'm oh, feeling right, a lot more comfortable than a couple of months ago, that's for sure. I have to say my pitch. own comfort, and it feels quite good. Sounds a bit weird, but okay. <laughs> is, he, is he taking a little kind of like a furry toy into the pocket with him so that he can stroke to calm himself down? I love like what a I do, box. and I want to do this as long as I can, he said. Uh-huh. Does he mean Formula One or driving a race car of any sort? Who knows? He yeah. Just, I think he just likes to be away from Russia. <laughs> mm. He did add that his career was in Red Bull's hands, so... That's not, that is not a good place for a career to be. Going back to Carlos Sainz. Via Jamie Agaspari, Sebastian Buemi and all the others. Yes. Sebastian Bordet and uh, et al, yes. Um, D'Ambrosio was he a Red Bull driver? No, he rode for Renault for one race, didn't he? bit of calendar news. Oh, hurrah! Uh, this is actually a story that you covered um, two weeks ago, Nick. Is this the clash with Formula E and everything else? It is. Uh, and you pointed out that because the German Grand Prix had been uh, 
moved to Hockenheim instead of the Nürburgring, then there's absolutely no reason why the uh, WEC race at the Nürburgring couldn't move back to its original date a week later than the one that it's currently on. But that's now got an F1 race on it, has it? And they don't want to clash in the same continent. No, it's fine. Uh, so, okay. f- as you said two weeks ago, uh, WEC could move a week later. Um, and the only uh, reason that they haven't uh, announced uh, a move yet is that yeah. um, they, and specifically Gerard Neveu, uh, said... I think the Formula One calendar might change again, and I don't want to keep playing musical chairs. In fairness to Mr. Nevers, it has moved around every single year since I can remember. Yes. Uh, after this point and before it actually gets finalised. Correct. It's um, it's far too early to have anything in concrete. Mm. Or anything written down on a piece of paper that isn't a fax, of course. So, just so I'm straight in my head, this is the 16th of July next year, where you've got the six hours of Nürburgring on yes. the same weekend as... Formula E in New York. Yes. And the Grand Prix. No, no, the no Grand there isn't the Grand Prix. The, 31st. the reason they didn't want to move it was because it would have clashed... It would have been too close to the German Grand Prix, but the German Grand Prix is no longer at Nürburgring, because Nürburgring has no has financial problems. It's moved back to Hockenheim, uh, which means that clash, as I said, two weeks ago, which you couldn't yes. hear me, obviously, could uh, be moved. Did you say the WEC... It clashes, Formula E clashes with WEC. Yes. 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 Where's Formula E going to find its drivers from then? That's the point. Well, that's, that's exactly the, the point. That's why they need to move the Too much of crossover. Yeah. Uh, well, it's so where, you, you where think is it WEC going to m- find its drivers from? Because obviously they get paid far more mm, to do Formula E than Very good point. Sebastian Buemi mm. at the weekend said if the clash stays, he will do WEC. Wow. That's because he'll already have won the title by then. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, did you watch the Formula E race at the weekend? Yes, yes. got up for it. You know, I, I don't want to point out yeah, that we will be working with a with a superstar uh, over the weekend. Yes, um, we are, aren't we? Yes, yeah, we, yes. World feed, world feed commentator Martin yeah. Haven uh, of Channel his parish will be will be using will be saying all the words at Bruno. Um, <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah. really easy weekend for us. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So Joe said, Joe said a really good thing. Actually, he said to me, he said, uh, "What do you think about Formula E?" I said, yeah, "Not so much." He said, do you know what, do you, "What do you say? It reminds you? What do you say? It reminds you of?" It reminds me of watching an indoor kart race. <laughs> it does. It always has. Outdoors. It always has. It's because it's well, that. it's. I think it's probably because of the the tightness of the track, the noise that the cars make. I love Formula E. I mean, am I am I alone in saying that? And the driving into yeah. barriers to avoid a car. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you're driving into it. Yeah, and I would know where to go and having to drive into the barrier and then bouncing off the tyres and continuing. Exactly, with no um, damage at all. I, I, I always have since the very first Formula E race. I thought, what is this? That's what it is. It's indoor karting. <laughs> Very expensive course. indoor karting. Yes. Outdoors. It's like you and I at Abu Dhabi, Johnny. It is, An yeah. indoor kart track outside. Four tenths I was in the end, off yeah. you. Yeah, you were, mate. That's I was pr- catching that's, it, no, catching that it. Is catching good. It. Yeah, we went to about what happened to the, with, the, with the other two members of the team. One retired hurt and one retired with with hurt pride. One retired <laughs> four seconds off the... Well, far, you with, weren't that far off. No, I was, I was with, 0.8 off, Johnny. With, 0.8, that's yeah. not bad. With petrol burns in an intimate area. <laughs> it was, yeah. I, I got it. Was, oh, yeah. There's petrol down the I had to pay, pay extra for that. <laughs> fly back with that. Sorry. Yeah, so no, Formula, Formula e. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was... Not a, indoor car. It was normal kind of bash crash sort of thing. Um, it's good racing. Blamey. It's good racing. I have real problems with it. As long as they have the driver change, and I think you made a very good point, they don't, they don't really... I don't think they cover the driver changes very well. The car changes. 
Um, as long as mm. you have the car changes, I think it's uh, it's. I think that's where I have a problem with it. Uh, aren't they working so on a on extended battery life, so they don't have to? Two seasons time, they'll be able two to seasons time. They won't have to do the silly car change. But it, it um, looked good. It looked good in Hong Kong. There's certain venues yeah. look really nice. They got a good crowd. Um, it's. As you say, it was, it was the, the track was too short. I thought. A friend of mine lives in Hong Kong, and I messaged him saying, "Are you at the Formula E race?" He said, "Tickets were sold within an hour." Really? Wow. Yeah, tickets were sold within an hour of going on sale. Now, it puzzles me that there's not, there's not going to be a round in the UK for this season, is there? No, because they lost the uh, the Battersea. rights to use Battersea Park. It was uh, because it was very contentious with the. Uh, I'm afraid it was NIMBYs. Um, and they lost uh, the the only way they could stop legal action, which would have potentially prevented last year's event happening with a last injunction, which would be a disaster of expense, was to promise not to do it again. Is that right? Yeah. So they got so so the, so the, so the protest group locally in London said, "All right, we'll let you do this one if it's the last one." All right. Okay. And and times but there have are moved other places on. you could do it in the UK. Dare I say, not in London. They did it's have not another venue lined up as well. But did they? Was where that, was that, Tim? What was that, Tim? I'm not allowed to say where it was because it was covered by uh, NDA. Is that not? Ah, right. Has okay. that not expired by now? Yeah. I'm not sure. Okay. Was it another park type area? It won't have been the road. It, 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 course it was. It was, was it a city it was, centre? It, it was a location that wasn't that different uh, aesthetically to uh, uh, a parkland. I see. It wasn't Crystal a Palace? circuit and it wasn't... Uh, Crystal Palace would be great. I did the whole city centre street race in carts back <laughs> in the early 90s. All Scariest right. thing I've ever done. Ever. Ever in the history of ever. Absolutely <laughs> scariest thing. Is that because it was in Hull? Uh, probably, yes. <laughs> yeah, too much. Couldn't, yeah. couldn't uh, crash, you'd lose your cart. Incredible, <laughs> incredible. Throw the textbook out the window and just, <laughs> just survive it. Brilliant. Uh, Where to next, Tim? Do we think anyone other than Boemi is going to win this uh, title? Yes. Um, yeah, a title, no. I think Boemi, if he, if he, unless he does miss those last two rounds, would be a major uh, handicap. But I think the individual race is won by other people, but it does appear that the, the Dems team and Boemi has a definite uh, performance and talent advantage. What about Degrassi? Where did, how did Degrassi come second? That was incredible. The, the tactic that that team employed to get him back up to second was phenomenal. I know he was held by his safety car massively, but he was, you know, his chassis was damaged earlier in the race. He had to change cars early, and then he had to nurse the second battery to the finish to come second. It was an outstanding performance, I thought. He did well, but he isn't going to the championship. Well, he's got he's got the same problem anyway as Boemi because he'll, he'll be in the Audi for the uh, yeah the for the uh, race, yeah so. for the Nurburgring yeah yeah true. Uh, how did Jaguar do on their debut? They qualified at the front row. They locked it out. Was that no? Was that, that was next for the no? Uh, they qualified the twelfth and fourteenth or something, didn't they? And came twelfth or fourteenth. That's was pretty it? much it. Yes. Yes. And ne- uh, like next V with Nelson Piquet and uh, what was it? Ollie Turvey Ollie was it? Turvey. Yeah. Who who locked out the front row then faded miserably uh, as they went on. It wasn't a bad debut. It wasn't exact. They weren't exactly. You know. They weren't. They they didn't do a. Um, you know, they weren't four seconds off the back of the grid. They were in, they were in the midfield. They job being four seconds off in Formula E. But you know what I'm trying to say. They weren't off the pace. They were in the thick of it. They were in the midfield. They qualified in the midfield. They raced quite well. They got to the front, albeit through the pit stops, etc. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, Degrassi obviously benefited, you know, just to explain that, because he pitted before the safety car. John pointed out to me, he put before the safety car, so he got his lap back. Yeah. Um, no, I, mean, I think, yeah, it's it's... 
I, you know, all oh, Jaguarish Magu. I find it very. It's, it's still a basic one mate formula with a bit of frillage on the side of it. So they should do slightly better than that. They should be up the front. And, and I think this. Interestingly, I remember um, a team setting very low expectations for it before in the past. It was called Jaguar F1, yeah. and and they absolutely met those low expectations for several years before they disappeared. I think they became, did all right. And became a team called Red Bull, which <laughs> whatever happened. Yeah, well, then? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, there was uh, you know, there's a Formula E's of extremely technical thing. It's like you know, no, no it's not frick- a joke. Formula E is not as it's, it's been designed ground up wrong, and is not technical in the way it should be. I don't think you're looking in the right areas, Tim. You're looking at no, reducing friction. It's still Nick. Sorry, Nick. Um, <laughs> you look. Yeah, but I was squinting. Um, <laughs> You're looking at, you know, reducing friction in drivetrains. You're looking at reducing friction, you know, different lubricants for bearings. Um, it's, it's, you've got to look a lot closer than you are. It's, it's a very, very technical formula. And you can tell because the guys at the front have been doing it for three years and they've got their no, head around how to get yeah, the best out no, of these no cars. It's no different from Anything. how you learn to set up an Indy car and that's all about the lubricants and the grease and the bearings yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, yeah, I think yeah, the, the yeah. point about Formula E is about the drivetrain. That's what's different. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they've made it a advanced, or a theoretically advanced drivetrain to additional chassis and that's what where they've had the issues. But mm-hmm. we're looping a bit at this point. How did Jose Maria... Okay, carry on. Touring cars. Badly. And uh, Bathurst 1000 at the weekend. I haven't seen it yet. Do no, you want me to uh, take your oh, off so we don't spoil the results? No, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not that sad it, like that. Was it won by an Australian V8 car? Uh, yes, <sighs> but then that car was uh, given a time penalty and relegated to 11th, so a different car <laughs> won. That's brave. And have, have they have they not appealed that? Because that's what normally happens. They have appealed, yes. So Good, we're, yes. we'll wait for that appeal to happen. But uh, Johnny watched most of this race. I watched half of it, and I was impressed by the fact that the first half was not affected by a safety car in one, one iota. So they had three hours of an absolute thrash around the Bathurst uh, circuit. And, and, and Johnny, that's quite an achievement, you know, those when you cars consider, around that circuit. When you consider across the top of the mountain, yeah. you've got concrete walls left and right, yeah. and cars brushing with their door mirrors that said concrete wall. And I just, I love the fact that you, you're getting through the 1000Ks far quicker than anyone quite expected. I mean... I've, been, I've seen it once in 2010 live, and it, it is quite a spectacle, but there are almost those pause moments for your next can of beer. <laughs> Nobody got that chance for the first three hours, and I, I was enthralled by it. And obviously strategy goes out the window. They were going through brake pads incredibly quickly. Uh, you had um, front brakes catching fire in, at times because the brake fluid was leaking out of one caliper. Um, there were lots of cars that had to go into the garage, like you'd see at Le Mans, going up on the dolly jacks in even after an hour and a half. Um, and strategy became far more of a part of that race than it's ever been before, I would say. You're frowning at me, Nick, because I know that, that you know it doesn't really excite you, does it? But I know the 12 hours excites people because it's a good track, No, but maybe that, you need the right cars going around it. It's a fabulous track. It's a fabulous venue. And, and, and I, think the, I think the Aussie V8, uh, certainly some of the races I've enjoyed most that I've actually seen live with the Aussie V8 all those years ago to support the Albert Park race. They were great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's it, it, yeah, and absolutely, it's, it's an endurance race and you need to do those endurance things in the pits. Um, of course, the last year of the V8s, isn't it? They're moving to a different formula now. Apparently it is, yes. I, I keep trying to work out which direction they're going to go in because there's still going to be Holdens, there's still going to be Fords next year. Everyone says that the, the factory teams are leaving. doesn't mean that there aren't going to be those badges represented in the championship. Um, 
I, I get that it can be quite samey because you have basically have was it four body shapes and an awful lot of the same technology underneath but uh, I just like the fact that a championship can be sprint races it can be enduros it can be co-drivers it can be street races it can be parkland races there's a lot of difference across the year it's a surface paradise thing still or Gold Coast still at the end of the race with the, um, the cele- I say celebrities they're not celebrities they're guest professional drivers is that still happening or has that stopped now? That's still happening. It's uh, about well, Gold days. Coast still happens. I'm not sure whether they get in, you know, uh, IndyCar drivers and uh, drivers from other disciplines. Do they, Tim? They used to. Uh, it's the same um, guest drivers that they have for Bathurst. Okay. Um, so yeah, so they're less sort of superstar motorsport people. They're, and they're, they're, they're more local than um, than the international stars that they used to fly out. Um, so. Jamie Winkup and Paul Dumbrell crossed the line first, but uh, have been classified 11th after a 15-second penalty. Uh, and the win went to Will Davison and Jonathan Webb, who had previously led for no laps at all. Well, that's that's a, a good way of, of winning, I always think. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I did see on Twitter it's supposed to be an absolutely fantastic race. And, and it does appear that particular event does produce very, very good finishes. Okay, it's nine o'clock. Midweek motorsport, and if you've spent the first part of the show counting, you should be up to three thousand six hundred by now. Well, that time's gone very, very quickly, hasn't it? And we still have uh, highlights such as to- looking ahead to the Fuji World Endurance Championship race. It is another Creventic eva- event this weekend, and in fact, the final one of the season with the Bruno epilogue. It's a 24-hour race, and we'll get full coverage on RadioLeMond.com throughout the weekend. Marshall Pruitt will be here at some stage between now and 10 o'clock, and also we'll be hearing from Graham Goodwin, hopefully too, and more from Nick and Joe. All to come in the next hour on Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. And it's the Bruno preview next. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. So, looking ahead to Bruno and yes. the final round of the 24-hour series. Um, originally billed, as I said, as a 12-hour race, but we've got 24 hours to look forward to in the Czech Republic. You two were there last year. I wasn't. So, first of all, what sort of temperatures can we look forward to? <laughs> no, it's going to be. <laughs> no, we're very, we're very we lucky. We nearly died last yeah, year. Last year we won. Nick last and I nearly year, died. I thought, we're going to Czechoslovakia. It's, sorry, Czech Republic. It's early October. It'll be lovely. It'll be nice. We might go to Vienna. Marvellous. And uh, yes. you know, we, we, we you know, do you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pack an extra, I'll pack a sweatshirt just in case. Yes, we did. And we got there, and it was Arctic. It was, it was. I think it, it was never got above six the entire time we were there. There was a and big, cool. there was a big taunting temperature gauge in the pit lane that never got above six, then dropped um, down to two and one degrees overnight. And that wasn't the massive problem. Apart from the frostbite, because of course the race finished at midnight, Joe. That yes. wasn't the problem, because <laughs> yes, and it was. I remember on the Friday, it was like five, six degrees, and in the booth there was no, and the booth was on the opposite side of the track to the pits. And firstly, I've got to say, Bruno as a circuit is one of the finest race tracks you will ever get to, Absolutely. to see uh, and drive on. Absolutely fabulous undulations. Elevation changes, sweeping, 
nothing Mickey Mouse about it. Tight, twisty technical sections and long, fast sweeping sections. Beautiful, beautiful circuit. Um, but in the booth, it was uh, Martin Haven actually um, got frostbite on the Friday, <laughs> and we had to say to our uh, the, our lovely uh, Natasha from Creventic who looks after us, uh, Natasha, you are going to have to give us a heater. Because we've been in there for but three hours. In fairness to Lucky Natasha, she also furnished us with. Yes. Furnished, it, it was kind of like we, we were almost like little kind of little orphan, different little orphan Brits, weren't we? She furnished <laughs> us with. Here, has some extra clothes. Here, yes. have a well, jumper. The here, location, food, our location for this re- for this year's race has changed, I believe. Yes, it has. And it's going to yes. be very, very warm. It's going to be or warmer, should we say? Nick and I are covering the pit lane, so I, I've got to say the mindset of, of how of what, what I packed for this race. Completely different. Usually, we're in Barcelona, we're in Paul Ricard, so it's like, what shorts to choose, what um, what after-sun lotion to pack, yeah. uh, what sunglasses shall I take? This that's one the was... beauty of the championship, though, Isn't Joe. it? Isn't it? Because, we, absolutely, you know, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why I like the World Rally Championship, because you start off in Monte Carlo, then you go to Sweden in full snow, and then later on, you know, you're in the heat of the equator somewhere can and the I whole point is you've got to here and ask if Nick's walked out and discussed that you're talking about the World Rally Championship <laughs> he didn't think about it but we've blocked him in no I was just I was just thinking that, yeah, I think that's the worst thing to compare the uh, Creventic Championship with compare a vibrant growing championship with the World Rally Championship that's you know <laughs> awful i didn't necessarily Johnny, I, mean I, in its current form but the whole point is you travel around the globe don't you and I, I mean there's even going to be more globe trotting in 2017 where we're going to go to the states and yeah and i get i get your point and the challenge that the temperature will bring will be in complete contrast to what we've seen so far in the season where the heat you know the effect of the heat on drivers the effect of the heat on the tires on the hankook tires and how the the teams use the tires we're going to see a completely different tactic after be uh, after be employed uh, this weekend uh, bruno is a very very tough track it's um, it's hard on the tires because of the long sweeping curves so you you, you you're going to have to look for for a, um, a setup um, that's going to be, you know, going to be completely alien to what you've become accustomed to. I think there is a unique challenge this weekend in that we are part. This is part of the International Endurance Series. The fact is, the race for the points ends after 12 hours, mm, but the race point. for the glory mm. ends after 24. And therefore, people have got to have that kind of point in their mind of the tactics, as we have to be as high up as possible after 12 hours. So, for example, mm. and you mentioned it in the, the report on Bathurst, well, therefore, we've got to delay our brake changes till after that 12 hours, you know, if we, we normally do it before. Yeah. We've got, we've got yeah. To get as many points as possible, because of the championship, a vast number of the championships are still open. And... Um, it's, it's really important, I think, that, that, that you, you bear in mind that you've effectively got two races. You've got the race of the points and the race of the overall victory. Now, it, you know, with, with most of the championships up for, for grabs, there's, yeah, it's going to be a, 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 a working out minefield, isn't it, really? Someone's going to have to have a spreadsheet to try and that, work out who's doing what to whom and you when. You know what's going to be interesting? Is I if, think I know who that's going to be. <laughs> if after midnight, uh, some of the teams turn around and park it up. I can't see that. Neither can I, because you're going to be drawn into the competition. No, I think, I think there's, the, the point about it is that they've... They, come to to race they've come to compete they but they have to just adjust their tax effectively they need to back time from the point where the points are scored whereas before you've run a very free concept to, to get through the rotation now for example you, you, normally you try and keep your amateur drivers in the mixed team out of the car 
you know, at night and actually burn some of their time in the early part of the race when you think, oh, we can make up later. Now, no, you want to be as fast as possible in the first 12 hours. You might back end when you put the amateur guys in because it's, 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 you're actually really fighting with two different contrasting things. But now, the absolute good thing about it is, what I'm really looking forward to is, is we're going to see the 488. Are we going to see anybody beat Scuderia the Porsche of the... Yes, of the, uh... I think the Scuderia Paraha, if they can, it's their home race, they won it last year, if they can keep the thing on the island, and, and they have some, a, a good driving team, they are, a little, they are inclined to be a bit, a bit wild, they've had an absolute masterstroke in they've signed Tom Onslow Curl. Tom Onslow Curl is replacing uh, Matteo Maluccelli, who's unfortunately on a one-race ban after the incident at uh, Barcelona. Cool. So you've got Tom on there, you've got Toc, and it's going to be fantastic. And I, and I, and I really think that with, 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 with Tom and, and Peter Cox and, and, the, and Miri and uh, Josef, the two uh, uh, native Czech drivers, are really strong. They're much, much better than you think and, and, and get ignored by us, I think, sometimes. They, they, they are going to have to do they're going to have to play a very, very organised game to beat the the, the, uh, the pre-cut Herbeth Porsche. How many hours? They, per, how, how many hours perfect are they now? Is it is oh, it, is it seventy-two um, hours perfect, or is it three races? It's, it? it's two twenty-fours and a twelve. And so a 12, they are, yeah. They are sixty hours perfect so far. They've had one problem when their transponder broke down in sixty hours. They just go <laughs> round and round and round and round and round. Pit stop, everything unrushed, very organised, no headless chickens drive a change, tyres, and get back on it. And and you kind of, they're kind of very stealth-like. You don't actually notice them. And, the, and the, the time to watch that Porsche, and I'm talking about it's going to be the number of the Porsche, is quite apt, it's 911. Mm-hmm. Watch that car at the start of the race. Everybody goes off, and everybody's wheel-to-wheel as if it's a 10-lapper. The, the, the pre-cut Herbeth car just sits back, lets everybody get on with it, and then by the time you get into the first pit stops, it's... It, it just works its way into a competitive position. Mm-hmm. If if the pace is as quick as the car in front, it will challenge and it will go to pass. But they seem to have everything mapped out. They, 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 they have their pace mapped out and they stick to their numbers. And it and it's worked every single time for them. Now I, I, I think that the what would be really, really interesting, I think, is the Scuderia Praha team is, is much stronger and in their home race. And you're absolutely right. They have to get past this, this ironclad reliability. What I'd like to see, and this sounds an odd thing to say, is I'd like to see the Porsche have a 20-minute problem and see how they made it up. I'd yeah, like I mean, to see... Because I, are they, they have had so much in reserve over the last two races. They've... And the other race, the, 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 the other two races they've competed in this season, they've had such massive problems they couldn't make up for it. Well, so I want to see them with a small problem, and I want to see them going for it. I'd rather see them them going for it and the Scuderia Praha guys getting back on it because Malicelli has been a bit of an Achilles heel. He's been he's he's been a he's been a problem driver with um, at Paul Ricard. They had a problem with their tyres. Yeah. Right at the right at the end of the stint. Um, right at the end of the race, I should say, all of a sudden they were puncturing tyres. Was that because the driver was putting wheels off on the outside of kerbs, and and we, you know, the, the, at Ricard there was the problem, the, you know, the the, uh, the the grade of of asphalt off the track. Um, who's to say? Malicelli's not there this weekend. They've got a very solid driver uh, lineup, and they've got Tom Onslow cool, and we know the sort of job that Tom can put, produce. So. I take what you say. Uh, uh, call you Tim again, That's Nick. I'll right. that. <laughs> but I'd, I, I think yes, I I kind of agree. But I'd rather see the Ferrari just take it to the Porsche. I think it's going to be a fantastic battle at the front. Yeah, we need we need them to get through the first. Both need to get through the first three hours unscathed, and then let's see what happens. And then we've got 28 car field. 
a uh, little bit down on what we've become accustomed to in Creventic series. Yeah, I, think, I think I think one of the reasons being is is a couple of the championships um, mm. being decided, and, and I think at that point people go right. What we need to do, we've we've already had the very exciting calendar for next year published, and they're already thinking about let's get so. let's get our ducks in a row for for um, Br- um, not Bruno, but uh, Dubai. for Dubai, which is only a couple of months away. So you, you, yeah, you're going to get the the, the, the people who, who have still things to win and still still championships to, to fight for who will be out this weekend. My favourite class is really down. Only one entry in the year two class. They might win. I'm, I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about your um, your, your Clio Cup class. Yeah. Your we've we've got one Peugeot RCZ in the year two class of the team. Team Keir Reiser, Jim Christensen, Jan Engelbrecht, Thomas Sorensen, and, and Jens Mulgard. Um, they're obviously they've just got to go round and round for 24 hours, and and I I, I like that class because that is really grassroots. And again, for me, the the, the thing I love about Creventic is you've got the grassroots I, I classes. Haven't, I haven't right got, I haven't got the entries in front of me, but the key question I need to ask you is Coroys are there? Um, no, he's not. Oh, no, I love Coroys. No, Cor. he's not. Cor, Cor isn't there. It's all right, the Brookers are there, so that's fine. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, another uh, English interest, British interest, the RKC Honda Civic guys are there. Um, and they're, you know, with the, they're in the year three class. There are... Let me just count out how many uh, A3 cars we have, because that's your that's your kind of your saloon car class: Honda Civics, BMW M3s, BMW 1 Series. There's one, two, three, four, four cars in that class. All right, it's not a 20 car grid for the A3 class, but it's still four cars. And you know what? If your car breaks with only four cars in the class, it doesn't matter what, what it breaks; it's going to be worth boxing it all back together and pushing it out even if you lose two or three hours mm-hmm. who's to say that the car you know there's a chance of a Absolutely, podium yeah. with four cars so you are gonna you are gonna you know c- continue to repair it you could write write the thing off straighten the chassis and get back out there after six hours it's i think yeah, one, the, one of the actually the advantage of having 28 cars there is that it is a very very dark circuit mm. and it's going to be very very dark for a number of hours mm. so less cars on track um, less density track means there's going to be more people who are going to get to the finish by percentage terms obviously mathematically it doesn't make any sense but percentage terms it does because there's going to be less chance of instance in, in, a, in a circuit which once you get which is there is the least light of any track I've ever seen at night it is a wondrous place uh, Bruno uh, but it, it is, is dark, very though. very dark and, and we are going to be is it did we estimate it's going to be a 12 hours a daylight 12 hours I think it's yeah it, it, what, a 50-50 split? No. There's no, there's actually, there's actually, obviously, um, there's less than 12 hours official time between dawn and dusk because we're after the equinox, but because there's, you'll probably have it actually light for about 12 hours, yeah. And it's a very wooded wooded circuit, so once the sun goes down behind the horizon, yeah. it gets dark very quickly. And I think sunup isn't until about 7.30. So we, we could end Just up with... a cup of coffee. We're going to end up with, you know, with headlights ablaze for a big chunk of this race. So it's going to be on a par with places like Dubai and Daytona, isn't it, for, for darkness, running in darkness. But it, there's none of it lit. I don't know if it's going to change. I don't know whether, you know, the organisers, because they've gone from a 12-hour race to a 24-hour race, whether the uh, the circuit is going to um, supply some kind of lighting out the back of the circuit. They didn't last year for no, the I mean, 12 I think, hours. I think, I think the only place where there might be additional lighting would be in the pits or the, or, or the paddock. But no, they won't, they won't for the track. It's, it's part of the challenge. It's part of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the beauty of the circuit. Uh, there are various championship titles up for grabs. I've just noticed that the fight for GT cars separated by just three points between Preco, Herbert, Motorsport, we've talked about, and uh, Hoffa Racing, the uh, the number 10 car. Um, and that's going to be the race till midnight, Johnny. Yeah. Uh, and we should remind everybody that it's the, it was the teams that asked for the extra 12 hours, but 
as per the FIA rules, you couldn't extend a 12-hour race that was first introduced yes. to the FIA or okayed by the FIA at the start of the year. You could then, couldn't then add an extra 12 hours on. So that's the reason why the points count at the end of 12, and then you continue on for a further 12 for a race in isolation. For the trophies. And it, well, yeah. And, yeah but it is, an event, it is an event in itself, isn't it? So uh, you get the... the fantastic prize of winning the epilogue at the end of the year and, and, I mean, and do we go back to Bruno in 2017 only for, for, for TC so this is the last GT yeah, race yeah. for the foreseeable future so yeah. another one great to have on the on the trophy cabinet yes absolutely where are we going next Tim uh, well we were going to uh, continue with that uh, until we had Marshall Pruitt at 20 past but uh, that's okay. if we can get Marshall Pruitt a little bit earlier uh, as we have plenty to talk about in IndyCar lots of, even though they're not racing and uh, haven't raced for a few weeks uh, yet uh, there's been plenty of drive movement and engine movement as well this week but the engine's going up and down and uh, we also have some uh, it was a final round of the uh, Pirelli World Challenge uh, the weekend as well uh, Marshall not uh, available at the moment, though, so we shall move on to something else. Uh, we can carry on talking about Creventic if you which want. Which is bikes. Okay. I thought Nick might give us that uh, <laughs> give us that response. Uh, which ones do you want to talk about first, Nick? Well, there's a Grand Prix for MotoGP this weekend. Yes. Um, I also a season finale for British Superbikes this weekend. Oh, at Brands Hatch, as always. Yes. Now, you are a little bit tied into the points of me, but obviously after the, the double win for Leon Haslam uh, last week, is it, is it a Leon versus Shaky Burn showdown? Effectively, yes. I mean, theoretically, um, theoretically, any of those six could still win because it's a triple header. But I think realistically, it's Haslam uh, or Burn. Yeah, I think a uh, slight, slight uh, advantage. But if, if Shaky does win, is his sixth or is his fifth British Superbike Championship? Because it's it, one of the things that's very interesting. If you actually look at, if you follow British Superbikes or if you follow bikes at all, the one thing about Shane Burn is he's won it a number of times, but virtually all of them on different machines. So he's hopped. Is he's been the star man for, and obviously been. Uh, uh, Hired by a number of different drivers, he has driven. You know, he's driven for virtually all the major manufacturers. This one, obviously, now is on Ducati. Um, he's had four already. Yeah, this could be his fifth. This be his fifth. Say. Yeah, uh, uh, tying with um, uh, John Reynolds, one of four times in the past. But yeah, but it, 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 he has moved around in his, his in his steeds as well. Has him obviously back from uh, a run recently, most recently uh, in uh, World Superbikes and. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, I think it's yeah, it's, it, it, there will be a, a goodly crowd down at Brands Hatcher this weekend. Um, and uh, may the best man win. And just hope no one gets hurt. Obviously, <laughs> uh, two on Ducatis and two on Kawasaki's. Shaky burn. Ah, I'm sure. It, but in between, he's driven. He's, he's ridden. Okay, he's ridden, Yamaha, he's ridden another. Okay, yeah. manufacturing. I did, 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 did Yamaha definitely. I, of course, yes. He won the Ducati a long time ago in the old style machine because of the Panigale. Uh, has 2003 a... was his first on yeah. a Ducati 998 FO2. Oh, lovely. I had the road version of that. Okay. But, um, yeah, because the Panigale, which is the current Ducati bike, has had a huge problem. It's actually started, they've obviously sorted it out or got a, a, a rules break in the last year because it suddenly started winning races in World Superbikes as well, which it was struggling to do. It won, it won both the races in uh, 
made call last weekend with uh, Chas Davis. And he won both the race in British Superbikes the previous weekend, even the same weekend with Leon Haslam. So they've had a break on that bike after that was the, the Assam. You know, because yeah, anyone knows anything about road-based motorcycle racing of the, the past 20 years, prior to the last three years, Ducati won everything. Or because they used, or, or were always at the front and always dominating, but since the introduction of the Panigale and the slight adjustment of the rules, it's been uh, certainly within the world superbikes, it's been a Kawasaki uh, benefit, um, and and in British superbikes, it's kind of been wherever it's, yeah, it, it's also been very strong in Kawasaki, but they've had a bit of a, a wider uh, berth with uh, with Honda riders and um, Yamaha's as well. But yeah. this is the second time this season that they've uh, that they'll be visiting the Brands Hatch Grand Prix circuit. Uh, the previous one was in August, so very different weather conditions. Weather, yeah, but it was nice. Who won? Both of those races back in August were in uh, won by Shane Byrne. Yes, it does. It does. It, all roads are pointing to another shaky Byrne victory. But the point about it is, you know, it, it's close enough. So if you make one little mistake, you lose the front. You know, you don't hurt yourself, but your bike slides off, and it's all over. So, which, which what, what always makes bike's so exciting is that things can always go wrong at the least expected moment. There's, you know, you can always have a, a Lewis Hamilton engine blow up moment at any moment caused by many different things. The gap, just 17 points between them uh, in the points. And it's 25 for a win, isn't it, the standard motorcycle scoring? Yes. Uh, MotoGP, not a season finale, but uh, it is no racing this no weekend. They've got months to go, yes. <laughs> yes, they, they, they had to finish in November in Valencia, which is where everyone wants to be in November. Um, no, the best they're, they're, Obviously, the, the whole world of, uh, of Premier Line Motorsport has decided it needs to be in Japan over these next couple of weeks. Obviously, we had uh, uh, F1 last week in uh, Suzuka. We obviously have WEC in Fuji this weekend, which I'm, I think we're going to get John and Marshall to talk about in a minute. But we have uh, it's the Motul Grand Prix of Japan at uh, Twin... Is it Twinbin Montegi, isn't it? Yeah, it's at uh, the Honda uh, track this weekend. Uh, so they're in so Japan are Honda well. favourites to win this one? Uh, no, it's Yamaha more likely. <laughs> it's supposed to be a Yamaha track. But historically, I mean, the fact about it is, it, where we are with the MotoGP championship is that um, the new improved Mark Marquez, who knows how to win but also knows how to settle for third and just come home and get the points, only settled for third and come home and get the points. So he literally just will, will ride round in a very fast, very effective way, picking up a third second. But if he gets a chance, he'll strike for a victory. I mean, it's been a fantastic performance by Marquez because he really doesn't didn't have the best bike. It's, it, it's been improved. It's an unpleasant, evil thing at the beginning of the season. He benefited from a combination of um, a lot of wet races. There were a lot of wet races for Bernard GP at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and he benefited from a couple of mistakes by um, Rossi and Lorenzo. He benefited from... Uh, Rossi having an engine blow up, but he was there to capitalise, and he had a number of races where you know Marquez was 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 the ultimate you know win or bin, and now he's so mature and it's win. I can't win today. I'll come third. It's fine. I can't win today. I'll start fifth. See what happens. Oh, I'm second, and that's really why he's got such a large lead with what is not the best bike on the grid. So does that come with maturity? With experience, then? Yeah, Do absolutely. The... He he came off the bat. He came into MotoGP and won the first two years, and could do no wrong and he fell off and he got back up again it was fine you know and then last year he fell off a few times and Lorenzo put together a very very good I mean, as did Rossi both the Yamaha's improved he had a big advantage in the first couple of years with uh, the Honda it was much closer and he found that he couldn't throw those points away and make it up again mm-hmm. and so he got beaten by by the Yamaha's and you know he's th- he's, he's a much older and wiser racer he's raced for many years he sat down and worked out right I now realise I haven't got 
all the tools I need. I haven't got the fastest bike. Um, it's good in some tracks. I need to make sure I capitalise on tracks. It's good, but the tracks where it's not going to win, I'm not going to get worried about it. I'm not going to overthink it. I'm not going to throw it down, desperately chasing those two Yamahas. I'm not going to get upset that I'm being beaten by Rossi or Lorenzo. I'm going to follow them around. I'm going to see what happens, and I'm going to get some points. And it's a mature response. And then he's going to be home World Championship, I think. Uh, we have another of our regular contributors to join us now. Marshall Pruitt, good evening. Good evening, Marshall. Uh, unfortunately, uh, well, not necessarily unfortunately, uh, no Hindy this week. So uh, if you haven't been listening right, so far... I'm out of here. <laughs> if you haven't been listening so far, we do have Johnny Palmer. Good oh, evening, geez. Marshall. And hey, Joe, Joe Bradley. Hello, mate. Now that's somebody I like right there. Actually, no, the problem good is, Tim, we're all. not hearing Marshall, so by all means, you lead it if uh, everyone else is. Ah, uh, I will uh, turn Marshall up to you, make him a little bit louder in your ears. Uh, Shall we start with IndyCar, Marshall? Sure, fire away. Uh, season's been over a month, but still plenty going on. Uh, I suppose the biggest news has got to be Ganassi switching engine suppliers. Yeah, definitely a big deal, uh, especially looking at the balance of power. <clears throat> That's the big thing that has taken place. Penske, Chevy, Ganassi, Chevy, those were the two dominant teams with the dominant engine manufacturer the last three years, and with what we uh, <clears throat> confirmed last week and had been hearing for quite some time, actually, for a few months, the Ganassi folks have opted to return to Honda. And this is coming off a season where, after 16 races, Honda won two. Granted, they won the Indy 500, the biggest of all, so that's great. That's important for them. But they won two oval races. They won uh, absolutely nothing on the short ovals and the road and street courses that make up the majority of the calendar. So from the outside, you might say that's a very interesting choice. Why would one of the uh, series' most successful teams, one that won the 2015 IndyCar Championship using Chevy Power leave, uh, and the answer is, well, there are a few reasons. One of them, <clears throat> there's a great incentive, uh, Honda needing to get back in the game, needing to have a uh, true powerhouse team uh, helping to lead its way out of the darkness. Not that uh, Andretti Autosport and some of the other partners are not good teams, but uh, I don't think any of those Honda runners would uh, pretend that they have anything like the kind of resources that Ganassi can bring from an engineering standpoint. And also, you look at Scott Dixon, four-time champion, Indy 500 winner. Tony Canon, Indy 500 winner, IndyCar champion. Charlie Kimball, uh, one-time race winner, uh, so definitely not as big of a threat, but someone who has become a, uh, a contender. Uh, and then we're not sure who's going to be in the fourth car if, that, if Max Chilton will be back. He had a bit of a dismal, uh, humbling year. But nonetheless, Honda has needed a, a true, uh, consistent championship contender to help get them back closer to victory lane. And I, I think they're going to have that help from the Ganassi team. So big news there. Well, you it mentioned also Tony Kanaan. I mean, that's big news as well his return to ganassi yeah and that had been <clears throat> that had been a question mark for a while tony uh confided in us back in may that uh he wanted to drive for a few more years and he'd had a long-held dream to uh, drive for aj Foyt, and uh that came somewhat close to happening 
uh, ended up staying with Ganassi, staying with NTT Data, their sponsor, who they love Tony. So good on him. He'll be in a consistent, you know, that's a good bit of consistency for him, not simply returning to the team, but the fact that had he gone to Foyt's, that would have been massive for Foyt, but that team has been scraping the uh, the bottom of the grid for a while. So that would have been a, a huge overhaul project for Tony in the twilight of his career. So I'm happy for him staying. <clears throat> I'm happy that he and Dixie will get to continue to work together. And from Honda's standpoint, uh, well, Scott and Tony have been Honda people for, you know, I don't know how long, other than this brief foray with Chevy. Uh, those are those are two people that mean a lot to them. So altogether, you have Dixon, best of his generation. You have Kanan, who's phenomenal as well. Big move uh, for Honda to acquire Ganassi. And uh, then this also leads to the follow-up question, Tim. Uh, with the addition of Ganassi, three cars at minimum, maybe even four, um, who's going to leave? Or who will they not re-sign? Because uh, keep in mind that... Uh, looking at IndyCar's engine supply matrix with two manufacturers, Chevy and Honda, uh, there's a general expectation that both sides will cover as much as 60% of the field. With 22 full-time cars, last season at least, and looking at the uh, incoming Ganassi entries, that pushes Honda to something in the range of 15 cars. Uh, more, you know, Call it three-quarters of the field. Uh, so, I would not be surprised to see our friends at AJ Foyt Racing, uh, who've been very loyal to Honda and have been running <coughs> Honda favorite Takuma Sato. I would not be surprised to see them switch camps to the bow tie and see Takuma end up elsewhere. So just part of uh, the movement so far, Tim. Quick uh, follow-up on Kanan. You mentioned he wanted uh, a few more years in Dakar. Do we know how long this deal is? It is. Uh, if they did mention it, I didn't catch it or just failed to have my reading comprehension work the way it should. So I don't know how long it is, but I th- uh, at 41-ish, uh, I think we will see him for maybe two more years, at least in IndyCar. Uh, that's my guess, though. But uh, I think by then, whether he would want to move on to sports cars or whether he would just want to call time altogether and focus on being a dad, raising a young family, being a husband. You know, he, he's, he'll be entering his 20th season of IndyCar racing next year. So whatever he decides to do in whatever timeline in terms of leaving IndyCar, we can say that he has certainly had one hell of a career. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais has a new uh, deal as well. He's off to Dalcorn Racing. Racing? He is. My racer colleague, Robin Miller, broke that when we were uh, at the Watkins Glen IndyCar Weekend at the beginning of September. Uh, they've also stacked that team with some great engineering talent. Sebastian's engineer from Newman Haas, where he won his four consecutive champ car titles, Craig Hampson. He has uh, moved over from Andretti Autosport. And Sebastian's most recent engineer, Olivier Boisson, uh, those two have won four races together at KVSH, uh, is coming over. And uh, they will uh, come in and work with Michael Cannon, who's been with uh, COIN for three years now, I believe. So, uh, yeah, definitely a, a big, big move on the COIN front. And for fans who follow IndyCar or are familiar with the Coin team, I mean, Dale Coin is known for being the most frugal of spenders. <laughs> and this is a very nice, a very nice change uh, in that he has hired Seb. Granted, Seb drove for him uh, doing road courses only about five years ago, uh, but <clears throat> doesn't come 
Seb isn't cheap. We know that. So we know that Dale is coming out of pocket to hire one of IndyCar's best. And he's also gone and brought along some very serious engineering firepower to make sure that all that, uh, that his investment pays off. So we don't know who will be driving alongside Monsieur Bourdais. But we do know that uh, Dale Coin Racing should. There's no reason to expect them to be anything other than a serious player next year. Uh, wherever they go, and, and that we've never seen with the team. So uh, w- they, I expect them to be a big mover in the paddock. And a big story from last week that I'm not sure we talked about uh, on last week's show, uh, Joseph Newcarton joining Penske. Big news for Joseph. That one had also been in the in the works for a while. Maybe more con- confirming things, Tim, of late than actual, oh, my goodness, mm. Would never, never thought that would have happened type stuff. But nonetheless, yeah, uh, great for him. Uh, our friend Mr. Montoya, the uh, best interview in any paddock, uh, is l- searching for his next opportunity. That's where things at Ganassi come into play a little bit. Uh, you know, there's some interesting possibilities of history how things could sh- well. Yeah, well, not only history there, but that's where he wants to go, first and foremost. He's spoken with everybody with an open seat for the most part, but that's where it really depends on what Max Chilton decides to do. If Max uh, goes back and wants to go back, that would close that fourth seat uh, and uh, effectively end JPM's chance of going back to his uh, former uh, both CART uh, IndyCar and NASCAR team. Uh, and from there, would that Uh, mean something possible at Ed Carpenter Racing that has the vacancy Joseph Newgarden leaving Carpenter to go to Penske? Could that mean uh, A.J. Foyt Racing? Could that, you know, uh, obviously he is waiting to see what happens first and foremost with Ganassi, and depending on that decision on what they do for the fourth car with Chilton uh, dictates, frankly, what options he has left. The only interesting caveat there, I shouldn't say caveat, the only interesting side uh, note for this is we don't know if max is on any kind of compressed timeline uh, is he i don't believe he's in any rush to run back and sign knowing that uh, there could be the emergence of uh, the team his father has a majority stake in carlin racing uh, and kv racing coming together to put an entry on the grid next year so a couple things in play if you're a montoya fan you want chilton to figure out what he's going to do immediately and act uh, and if you are not a Montoya fan, you're probably hoping that Max will take a sweet time and leave JPM hanging in the breeze. Uh, you spent your weekend uh, at Monterey, I believe? I did. I did, I did. And it was fantastic. I, uh, A, love the Prelly World Challenge Series. B, having them finish their season yet again uh, at one of my home tracks at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca, definitely wonderful. And it was great racing uh, from the little crap box cars, the slowest TCB vehicles, uh, what, you know, they make, they make smart cars look like uh, high-powered uh, dragsters, uh, all the way up to the full GT3 spec uh, Pro World Challenge GT class that had a, uh, a contentious ending and uh, lots of acrimony but not before the uh timing and scoring folks did a saturday night audit of all points uh for the year and found that they made an error 
back in May at Lime Rock and awarded uh, soon-to-be champion Alvaro Parent seven points that he didn't deserve. So we found out... Uh, how, how did it take five months <coughs> to spot an error like that? I mean, you'd have thought that some of the title rivals might have noticed that sooner, surely. Well, this was a weekend that featured white flags thrown twice in two different races. This was a weekend that also featured what was supposed to be a finish that was declared over the radio by race control, because I heard it, that the uh, GT race and their championship uh, would be finished under yellow. And that was then changed halfway through that final lap, even though there was enough time left on the clock uh, to get the field bunched up and complete one final uh, crazy lap to dictate the uh, championship outcome. And that was somehow reversed uh, as well. Uh, I would say of all the, despite the many, many positives for the Pirelli World Challenge Series, which is sanctioned by the SCCA Pro Racing Series, uh, I would say that last weekend, based on some of the feedback I have gotten, might have been the uh, proverbial straw that broke the camel's back in terms of timing and scoring-related problems or uh, lack of thoroughness to, uh, it seemed like, in areas where that were directly out of the Pirelli World Challenge Series control, that there were a few too many vagaries and issues. And this wasn't the first time. Uh, But to your point, Tim, why would it take until Saturday night uh, for the series to do a proper and full accounting of its points uh, and then reveal those findings and that there was an error and that parent went from having uh, a nine-point lead over Patrick Long to two points overnight with nothing having changed on track? Um, Again, I anticipate those very questions will be asked of those who have been rendering those services. And uh, I'm not saying that the World Challenge Series needs to part ways with SCCA Pro, but uh, I do believe that uh, there could be some effective changes and or changes in personnel uh, responsible for rendering those services to make sure that uh, for a series that is trying to grow and trying to get bigger and trying to be considered the equal of an IMSA, for example, if not the better of of an IMSA, Uh, You cannot have little nickel and dime items like this continually chipping away at credibility. So, uh, So this is one of the champion. Parente was champion. Uh, Had the had the race finished the way that race control said it would finish, uh, Patrick Long would be the champion because had they crossed under the checkered flag under yellow. Uh, Patrick was ahead of Alvaro Print, and uh, by virtue of his positioning, would have won the championship uh, with both a mistake made by Johnny O'Connell on that fateful final lap run under green, where he went off at turn four, all, for, all four wheels came back on. Uh, Long, running in second, who did not need to pass him in order to win. Print in third. Uh, Pat had more momentum 
uh, tried to pass Johnny around the outside going into turn five. Uh, Johnny, who actually got up quite a bit ahead of steam and is known for uh, never surrendering and never making things easy, filled the gap that Patrick left open at the apex. Uh, the two came together. Patrick slid off track. Alvaro went by. Alvaro's champion. And uh, the, I'll, let's just say that Alvaro drove a perfect race, made no mistakes, and, frankly, because of making no mistakes, uh, was in a position to have the championship handed to him. So I don't, I'm not trying to say that as if he did nothing and was just completely passive. He drove as hard as he could, had nothing other than a third-place car, which, uh, again, had Patrick stayed in second, uh, would have lost the championship. Uh my good friend Patrick and I had a pretty good disagreement on how the race played out. I wrote as such that uh, I was surprised that he went for that pass when he didn't need to, and also knowing that he was not under immediate threat from Alvaro from behind, and also knowing that Johnny O'Connell, uh, someone you know who I, I've known for a long time and respect, he is a dog that will bite. You stick your hand out, you invite you invite your your hand to get bit it will get bit and that's exactly what happened um and i know that some uh some folks took umbrage with my assessment of it but you know uh, as things are supposed to work uh pat gave me a ring on monday spoke it out didn't necessarily agree with one another but at least respected each other's positions and i feel bad for him uh he put in a, a pretty amazing season of driving I had to go through some pretty big adversity uh, changing teams when uh, his original situation fell through, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, despite that last lap uh, craziness in Monterey, it was a fantastic weekend. And here's another quick thing too, Tim. Uh, I have been, and I'm still a little bit of a critic of the Pirelli World Challenge's new Sprint X series. Mm-hmm. Uh, their standard races, uh, the GT race, for example, uh, sprint race is 50 minutes long. They've come up with what they call Sprint X, which is one hour long. Yeah. Uh, and it features both the GT3 cars and GT4 uh, cars as well. Driver change, you're allowed to do one change one tire. It's There's a minimum length for the pit stop, so no, there's no actual effort to do super quick anything. It's fairly safe, but it gives, uh, gives those who are interested a chance to do a quote, and I'm using air quotes, endurance race. And as we saw, they had 27 entries last weekend for that. Uh, and they had two events, one Saturday, one Sunday. The Saturday race was fantastic. I mean, it was truly a thriller. Uh, and Sunday's race was a little bit less interesting, but uh, I think they I think they have it, something. It's got potential. It does. Now, granted, a lot of the drivers, and I do mean a lot of the drivers who participated in uh, the, their biggest Sprint X grid to date last weekend, uh, I think it's a perfect format. For any of those who either, A, just simply want to do uh, an endurance style thing where you do a driver change and it's cool and fun and nothing more, or B, for those who have an interest in one day getting to IMSA's GT Daytona class, uh, I would absolutely discourage most drivers that I saw participating in the Sprint X last weekend in trying to make that leap right away because just either skill or experience – seem to be lacking across enough of the field to where uh, we would have caution-filled races and very expensive repair bills. But, again, at least for a formative entry level, get a taste of what this thing is about, 
I think World Challenge has something that should appeal to a lot of people who realize they aren't meant to go wheel-to-wheel with Jorg Bergmeister for three stints at mm-hmm. Sebring. Um, and at the same time, it's also a good development opportunity. Uh, hey, maybe you're not sure about sprint racing. Maybe you're not sure. Sh- Come on in. Try our sprint race. Try our Sprint X. See what you like. And uh, if so, come and play. So uh, definitely something to work with. As you said, Tim, there, there's, I think, a positive thing there. Uh, and I have a belief it's going to continue to grow. Okay, Marshall Pruitt, uh, will you be back with us next week? I will. Excellent. I will absolutely be back. Uh, we so. will speak to you uh, in seven days' time, but for now, Marshall Pruitt, uh, good evening. Thanks, mate. Uh, Johnny, you still there? I am. Yeah, absolutely. Are uh, you hearing me? Yes. We're going okay, to talk good. about the World Endurance Championship next. Yes. Well, uh, it's time, therefore, to introduce um, a more familiar name to these parts, let's face it. But we could probably say, I think, good afternoon now to Mr. John Hindhoff. And he hasn't replied Hello. yet. Oh, there he is. Hello, Tim. Uh, uh, oh, that, well, it was Johnny that said hello to you, but hello. I didn't hear you, Johnny, but I heard you. Uh, Hello and good evening, or good afternoon as it is here, sitting on the end of the runway at LAX at the moment, ready to go to Fuji in Japan. Good show, I've been enjoying it. You sound like you're talking to some 1970s. Well, I am behind you in time, but only eight hours, not actually two decades. Four decades. Um, so, apologies for that. Well, yes, OK. Um, apologies, apologies for that. Um, that's why I'm not part of the show tonight because we knew we could, you could only get me on uh, on a dodgy internet connection. Uh, but you are heading to Fuji, as you say, and uh, the next round of the World Endurance Championship. That's correct, and Porsche uh, have really been running away with it in the last few races. Although, actually, I say that that's not quite true. Uh, Audi have been handing Porsche victories, haven't they, in the last few races? Toyota need to do better. <coughs> Excuse me. Toyota need to do better. And it's their home round. Still waiting to find out <coughs> whether they might use their early season uh, aero kit at Fuji, uh, the one before Le Mans. Um, uh, that should be an decent battle at the front of the field. Uh, in... LMP2, there's a new team, effectively. The second Tequila Patron uh, car, the ESM car, has effectively, for the rest of the season, the rest of the flyaway race, has now got a new driver lineup, including Guido van der Garde, and new sponsors. But because of the regulations in WEC, you're not allowed to change your team name halfway through, so it'll still be on the entry list as Tequila Patron ESM, but effectively, that's a whole new team for the rest of the year whilst those guys play out their last few races in WEC before they go back to IMSA. Uh, Aston Martin on a bit of a roll in GT. Uh, weather could play a part. It's, it's all to play for at the weekend. Looking forward to it. Uh, John, this is Johnny now. There's a, a different lineup I noticed at Manor as well. A, a kid called Alex Lynn is someone I've followed from single-seaters in the UK and he, he got very high up in that and then moved on into international single seaters. I think he's done GP3 and possibly GP2 as well, but I don't know him in prototypes. He's joining Tor Graves and Shinji Nakano at Manor. 
interesting, isn't it, Johnny, how we're starting to see this uh, gradual hopping over the broomstick of uh, GP2 and 3 drivers into LMP2, which, I'll be honest, when it was offered to me as a potential solution for these drivers who have hit the glass ceiling in the Formula ranks, I was a bit sceptical that, that, that it would happen. It has. I don't think these aren't the first. It won't be the last. Um, uh, good to see Manor with their Brembo brake problems behind them and now using the AP discs um, can focus on running cars. I think this was always the business model for the guys at Manor, for Graham Loudon and the rest of the guys. And I think we'll see more of it. Um, there was talk of other teams doing it that hasn't quite come to fruition. Manor running two cars for the rest of the year, we believe. And uh, now we've got to start... I know we've got a championship to think about this year, but next year is not that far away. And I suspect a lot of the gossip, a lot of the paddock chat that Graham and I will be talking about at the weekend um, will be about what happens next year as much as about how the season continues uh, this year. By the way, your very interesting chat that you were having about reliability in Formula One. I remember Paul Truswell saying, and I think Johnny was working with you, was it last season or the season before? Last season, I think, that uh, the Bahrain 1,000k race, or six-hour race rather, the first time that we could find in the history of, of that type of racing that everybody got home in that. That was when Mark Webber won the championship, of course, with an ailing car that expired as he crossed the line, basically. Um, so it, it happens in the longer races as well. But that was a fascinating uh, Formula One uh, Formula One chat. And um, my favourite still, the Tag Williams. That was what got me into it. I think I've still got the scale X car somewhere, Bradley. <laughs> He's listening and chuckling as well. Um, FW07. Hang on a minute. I'll put you up. Say again. That'll be the FW07. Yes, Your the FW07 or the... the the Talbot Leisure as well. Do you remember when it was Talbot for? Uh, I think it was only a year. Didn't they read just? Didn't they just put a different livery on the same chassis? No, no, no. They actually yeah, made the Leisure GS9 or GS11 or something. It looked it looked about three cars wide because it was so low and flat. It was an amazing looking thing with the Matra uh, with the Matra motor in the back. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Uh, yes, Fuji this weekend. <laughs> sorry, go ahead, Johnny. Uh, so three rounds to go um, in LMP2 yep. LMP1 rather how many cars are we lumping into the championship title race at this stage because the championship leaders Mark Lee Neil Yardy Roman Dumas they haven't had a podium in the last three races it's odd isn't it because it's been the wrong Porsche in inverted commas that's been winning <laughs> but this Johnny this is what happened this is what happened last year um, the Weber Bernhard and a Brendan Hartley car, had an awful start to the season. Then, after Le Mans, they went gangbusters and basically cleaned up the rest of the year. There's a, an awful look of symmetry about what's going on here. They've looked into a couple of wins. Yeah, OK, you've got to be there to win it um, and have yourself in the position. But you begin to think, rather like Nico Rosberg in Formula One, hang on a minute, this is, you know, the gods of racing seem to be on their side. Defending a championship is almost as hard, probably as hard, as winning it. And nobody's done it in the current uh, era of, of the WEC. You can't count them out. The best of the Audis, well, they're still picking up points, but they've got to start getting some wins. I don't think just being on the podium's going to be enough. 
uh, unless the Toyotas can find some form and get in between the Audis and the Porsches. And remember, we've got this mouth-watering situation, potentially, where the manufacturers are more keen about the manufacturer championships, so Porsche and, and Audi, sorry, Toyota, but not in it really at this moment. More ca- they don't care about the Drivers' Championship until they've won the Manufacturers' Championship. So Porsche don't care which Porsche wins. Um, it would be extraordinary if the number one car, the defending champions, were to win the championship. Um, but in doing so, and potentially helping Porsche to the Manufacturers' Championship, it could take their teammates out of the running, or at least dent their chances. Because what you won't see Porsche doing is swapping those cars around, and they certainly won't do it if there's a Porsche or two, uh, sorry, if there's an Audi or a couple of Toyotas in between the two cars, because they're not that worried about the Drivers' Championship now. This could be really, really interesting, and that brings in the Toyota drivers into the Drivers' Championship, outside bet I know, but Toyota are out of the the Manufacturers' Championship, so it would be smart for Toyota to work on their best-placed car, whereas the other two manufacturers are still working on getting the Manufacturers' Championship. So, a bit of a dichotomy there for those two German teams. But you are quite right. Looking back to last year's championship battle, Timo Bernhardt, Mark Webber, Brennan Hartley hadn't had a win leading to Nürburgring, and then they won in Germany, they won at Kota, they won at Fuji, and they won at Shanghai. Four wins back-to-back. Uh, what are they on now? Three wins, I think it is, in a row. So this could be their fourth this weekend. And then, as you say, it's kind of turned the championship on its head in LMP1. Uh, and another team that found a bit of form in the GT side of things are Aston Martin. And I know that there's been a bit of a shake-up as far as the balance of performance is concerned with giving the Aston a, a narrower restrictor. But they look really strong. Do they heading to Fuji? Yes. Um, odd, isn't it? it? We wait a year and a bit for an Aston Martin to win, and then we have a couple of wins all at once. Um, mm. They look a lot better. They look a bit, a lot better in themselves, a lot more confident on the, the work side, on the pro team. The AM team's had a couple of dodgy races, but they look like they've got themselves together. They've gone back, of course, to uh, their Michelin tyres because they, they don't have proper... They don't have last year's tyres for the last year's car, if that makes sense. Um, But certainly the works teams this year, um, they didn't have a great year last year, second half of the season, didn't have a great year first half of the season. Balance of performance, as you rightly say, will be an issue. But all of a sudden, that is a team that has a bit of belief about itself, Johnny, not just the drivers, but uh, but the whole team, they're walking with a little bit more swagger after the last couple of rounds. I think that they're a team on the rise, now, whether they can do enough, it's very tight in the, in the Manufacturers' uh, Championship and the Teams' Championship. Um, we had Darren Turner leading the championship on his own. And, and don't forget, he swapped his core drivers this year. So if that car keeps winning, it's Darren that improves his title championship hopes on his own. The other car, the 95 car, they obviously leapfrogged him at the end of the, the last race. Um, that's an interesting one for Aston to have to manage as well, but I suspect at the moment they're just happy to get a car on the top step of the podium and they'll worry about drivers' championships, etc. when they get the bar in. The, the, the manufacturers' and teams' championship is pretty close and there's this sort of unofficial mark as well about which manufacturers won 
most GT races in the WEC, and that's extremely tight between Ferrari and Porsche, uh, Ferrari and Aston Martin and Porsche as well. So there's there's that to think about too. What about Ford? Where is the GT at this stage of the season? It's a, a good question, Johnny. It's a good question. I can't believe that the UK-based part of Chip Ganassi Ford performance are at all happy about this year. They've been comprehensively outperformed by their colonial cousins back in the US. Now, in their defence, the the Ford GT has a slightly different balance of performance, certainly more favourable balance of performance in the US where they've had wins. But of course, the 24 Hours of Le Mans was uh, won by the American team. Um, I wouldn't say they haven't looked in it, because that's not true. First half of the season, they were very canny with their tactics, didn't use a lot of new tyres, were getting themselves ready for Le Mans. But since Le Mans, they've, they've done all right, but only all right. They were nowhere in Mexico, and you know, that was a circuit that just didn't suit them, that didn't really perform, I think, as they wanted to at quarter. Fuji is more like Le Mans, isn't it? It's got the long straight. It's got a bit of twisty bits around the back, which is sort of Porsche curves. Like, they've made no bones about the fact that car was built to go off and win Le Mans, and it did. Will Fuji suit it? I think it possibly might. They've got to start doing something, though, before the end of the season. I know that they have extended the programme. Whether the programme will end up in private hands... Because as far as I'm aware, none of the drivers have been given the extension on their contracts uh, that the programme has got yet. Uh, so none of the drivers yet have been extended. So is there a possibility, maybe, for those cars to end up in private hands um, at the end of the initial commitment from Ford Performance? I, I honestly don't know that one. That, I think, could, could probably go either way. Um, but they need to do something. A, a podium's not enough. They need to win a race before the end of the season. Looking at the, the, the races, I think probably um, Fuji and Shanghai, if it doesn't get too hot in Shanghai, are their best bet. The cars don't seem to like the heat. Uh, they have issues getting back up to speed when it's hot. Um, don't, I, I've never really gotten to the bottom of that, why that is, is the case, coming off starts and restarts and coming out the pits, whether it's because of their tyres or whatever, but they just don't seem to like it. Um, I think Fuji and Shanghai potentially their best two opportunities for a top step. Okay, well, I think it promises to be a a cracking race, and I think at the end of the Fuji six hours, we'll know a little bit more about uh, how the championships are going to be settled, but still two races to go after that, of course. It's a long old season, and uh, rearward loaded, if you like, and I know you know all about the air miles that need to be done towards the end of a World Endurance Championship season. John, safe travels from California to, to Japan. Thanks, Johnny. Uh, great show, lads. And uh, I'll speak to you from... I'll speak to the world from Japan. It's Bruce Jones and uh, Damien Faulkner on the radio for race coverage this weekend. Absolutely, yes. We're, uh, again, simulcasting on uh, RadioLeMond.com, both from uh, Bruno and uh, covering the Fuji Six Hours. So that's John Hindoff on his way now to Japan. And uh, that is just about it then for Midweek Motorsport for this week, Nick. Uh, we've rattled through a number of guests, have we not? We've burnt the guests out from many continents and many places at the same time. I thought you were going to say you've fest. burnt the guests. No, no, it's been, a, it's been a guest fest, all powered by E's fantastic mushroom risotto. Quite mm. right, too. Um, we must say thank you to uh, Oliver Askew and Carl Kirkwood 
from the start of the show. They are the Team USA Scholarship winners. I'll be taking part in the uh, Brands Hatch Formula Ford Festival and the Walter Hayes Trophy at Silverstone in the coming weeks. Um, my thanks to, to Nick Damon and to Joe Bradley. Anything else to add, Joe? You've been Not so, at so all. quiet. I've been, it's been a nice. It's been nice listening to the shorter nights. <laughs> it's just, it's, and taking active yeah. part, or rather not. I'm not really sure I did. No, I'm not really he's sure. Just, he's just, it's the first time he's listened to that being on a 30 second delay. It's just, he's just, oh, I'm getting it before everyone else. <laughs> I usually get it on a four day delay, to be <laughs> honest. Uh, our executive producer up in London, Tim Gray, anything more to add? Uh, no, just uh, good luck to Sebastian Ogier and Julian Ingrassi, who could uh, start the WRC in Barcelona this weekend. <laughs> they currently lead by 68 points over uh, the other Volkswagen of uh, Andreas Mikkelsen. It was such a nice show till then. You've ruined it. And <laughs> remember again, what nationality is Esteban Ocon? Uh, he's European. <laughs> oh, um, nicely dodged. He's definitely French. <laughs> he's very French. He's definitely French. Uh, thanks to Marshall Pruitt. Thanks to Joe Bradley. Thanks to Nick Damon. Thanks to John Hindoff. That was a treat. It's strange, isn't it, to get him on as a guest? But was lovely he on to hear his He was, was a guest actually on the airplane. I was hearing planes in the background. He was, was a guest from the 1970s. I think he was probably on the <laughs> runway trying to flag down a plane to get him to Japan. I'm surprised he didn't get told to turn his phone off. Thanks to the responsible adult, Eve Hewitt, as well, who is next door. And, uh, of course, Midweek Motorsport will return next week at the usual time, 8 o'clock on Wednesday night. But from us all, have a pleasant rest of the evening. Bye-bye for now. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.